is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? Let's get it fired up. Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, basking in the glory of back-to-back championships for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and getting ready to uh, get back after it tonight for the Winnipeg Jets down at Canada Life Centre hosting the Buffalo Sabres. Welcome to the program. Andrew Patterson with you, along with Michael Remus. Um, Lots of bomber talk today, as well as Jets and NHL news and notes. Um, Lots going on, unfortunately, in the National Hockey League when it comes to the damn virus wreaking havoc on locker rooms throughout the league. Um, We'll get into what this means for potential Olympic participation. And unfortunately, it doesn't look good, certainly as opposed to where we were, you know, in the last few months. Um, And the Bombers continue to have the time of their lives celebrating this Grey Cup championship, leading into tomorrow's big party down at IG Field beginning at 6 p.m. Ted Wyman's going to join us. He is back from Hamilton. We'll recap Grey Cup week and the big game with Ted. Look ahead to tomorrow and into the uh, CFL offseason as well. And then we'll get ready for Jets and Sabres. It's been a minute since we've had our friend Tim Campbell from NHL.com on. Tim's going to join us. And if we are lucky, we might hook up with Dave Pagnotta later on. We're going to reach out to him to talk about what's how he's hearing from around the league when it comes to uh, all of these individuals hitting up on, uh, you know, ending up on these COVID lists. We'll also hear from Coach Paul Maurice as well, teeing up tonight's game with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, a big shout out to all of our sponsors that make this show happen every day. We couldn't do it without you. Please support them if you have the opportunity, including F Apparel, Culligan Water, Vita Health Fresh Market, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club, and of course our betting partner at Cool Bet Canada. 13 games in the NHL tonight. No shortage of uh, games to wager on if you enjoy that. And uh, I will give a quick plug. Dustin Nielsen and I just finished a new edition of The Lock Shop. So if you're listening on the podcast, wherever you're getting Winnipeg Sports Talk, just throw in The Lock Shop and uh, give a subscription to that. We'll kind of do a regular hockey-focused pod on Tuesdays. And then, of course, another big episode coming up on Friday as we get ready for the weekend in the National Football League. So we've got to talk Bombers. We've got to talk about the Jets getting back on the ice. The latest on Blake Wheeler. And Remus, I think we need to start this off with a civic emergency right now. One of the Grey Cup heroes, Willie Jefferson, who seemed to have a great time last night, popping in, seeing my guy DJ Finesse down at the PAL. Little uh, Grey Cup edition of Booty Shake Monday happening. But there is an emergency right now. We've just seen the tweet in the last hour. Willie Jefferson has lost his phone and is asking the citizens of Winnipeg to help him out and get it back to him. He, as everyone does, needs his damn phone. Yeah, the Bombers uh, responding on Twitter. Somebody had a good night, and uh, it seems like the party uh, hasn't stopped. I saw videos <laughs> of them like singing We Are the Champions on the plane, singing Backstreet Boys on the plane, but... Uh, if you've been around the Onyx apartment, maybe it's just like in his couch cushion or something and he can't find it. That's usually where my phone is. Uh, I've spent, you know, a lot of time looking for it. It's like, oh, it's on my bed. And I, was I have a feeling in. that Willie was enjoying the city more than just sitting on his couch. In fact, if it was, if well, he didn't leave and it was just somewhere around, if uh, Kelly B was having some fun with it and hid daddy's phone, 
I'm sure it would be identified by now. This this is an emergency. The phone is gone. Willie needs it back. And uh, tell you what, of all the people's phones you could find, mm-hmm. Willie Jefferson's got to be at the top of the list. I mean, uh, you know, maybe we'd give you a little Gray, gray Cup swag. would certainly give you a nice autograph, maybe a cool pictures. Maybe give you a free cameo or something like that, Remo. Bottom line is, we got it, it, the people of Winnipeg need Willie to get his phone back so he can keep firing out all the great stuff that he's done on his Instagram and his Twitter all through Grey Cup week and certainly through the celebratory activities such as last night around the streets of Winnipeg. Yeah, I don't know what they were uh, what they were up to, but I mean, it was in an apartment complex, so like uh, I just assumed it was an apartment. He fell out of his pocket uh, during a, a party or something. Um, so hopefully it's there. I, I'm just, this is my first thought as well. I hope he had his phone backed up uh, to iCloud or something because you can just get a new one and it gives you all your pictures and everything. Or if he's got Amazon Photos, it automatically backs up all your photos. I'm sure he's got some great memories on there oh, yeah. from the celebrations. You do not want to lose those. It said it was sent from an iPhone, so I don't know if Willie logged into a different phone. Maybe he's got, maybe he's got multiple phones. He logged into a, di- a different one. And uh, tweeted this, or he was is one of the few of us who could actually remember their password, because he got so damn many of them, and make you put all these stupid extra letters. And uh, I can't remember <laughs> any of mine anymore. It takes me like three or four different tries every every time. So uh, we are we want this update. So maybe at, at tomorrow's celebration, we'll get the update on well, Willie's sure. uh, Willie's thing. And if you if you out there in WST land have any idea as to the whereabouts of the phone belonging to one Willie Jefferson. You let us know, you let him know, let the bombers know, and let's uh, let's solve this mystery and put this one to bed. Um, hey, shout out to everyone that's with us in chat. Man, it's been a great week plus of so much uh, excitement and so many new folks coming in. Just wanted to talk about bombers if maybe they weren't aware of what we were doing beforehand. Um, if you're here, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button. It always helps us spread the channel. And for the few of you that haven't already subscribed, all you got to do is hit that red subscribe button and make sure you're joining us on a daily basis here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I want to give a special shout out to Mitch. Uh, our pal, the godfather himself, Mitch of Winnipeg Hockey Talk, is here uh, he, he just said, you've heard of Eraserhead. I'm now officially known as Staplehead. Um, jokes aside, um, because Mitch seems to be in pretty good spirits about this. I'll send in you uh, the best, my friend. Uh, Mitch had a bit of a spill on the weekend, and yes, did get eight staples in the dome. So um, the resilient Mitch back with us today and which, with the rest of the Winnipeg Sports Talk crew in the chat. Um, but listen, in all seriousness, get well, buddy. Hope you're feeling okay and uh, hope you enjoy the game tonight. Um, so, Remus, we're going to get to the Bombers with Ted Wyman. If we have any breaking news on Bomber-related activities, celebrations, or found cell phones, we will let people know. Um, but, man, it's going to be an interesting look for the Winnipeg Jets going in tonight. Um, you know, the COVID story is such a huge part of hockey right now. Um, we learned yesterday that that was the reason why the Winnipeg Jets did not make a call-up from the Manitoba Moose. Um, out of caution because there was a positive test within the moose over the last few days. But that means that the Jets have 11 healthy forwards for this game tonight. Nate Beaulieu is going to get into the lineup. He was skating on the fourth line in practice yesterday and, you know, ostensibly moves into that. I'm not sure how much they'll use Beaulieu up front as a forward. 
brings me back to memories of my guy, Adam Party, who, of course, did uh, get a few runs up in the forward group at a, at a certain point during his time here in Winnipeg. Um, and maybe it's an opportunity for Maurice to uh, tap guys like Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers on the shoulder for a few extra shifts. Bottom line is Blake Wheeler's going to be out for a number of weeks, although the good news coming out of the coach's presser today, which we'll hear later on, is that it will not need surgery. They'll have a better idea when the swelling goes down. Um, I imagine Blake Wheeler's going to be out through the holiday season, uh, but there certainly was concern that this could be I mean, worst case scenario, you know, requiring surgery and months and months of rehab, uh, at least right now, I think that's a positive and it certainly gives some other individuals opportunities to step up and uh, see what they can do in his absence. Yeah, I'm curious if we, you know, Bully, you did uh, skate on forward a couple times, you know, previously. Um, I forget what game that was. I remember thinking it was not an optimal decision. And, but I think a lot of teams are going with less. I see Carolina also going with, what, 11 forward 70 because of their COVID situation. You know, the Jets are directly dealing with the COVID situations with the Moose, so they don't want to call anyone up right now. Um, so you probably would prefer to have forward, but, I mean, this is what you got. Thankfully, your opponent tonight is the Buffalo Sabres, who, you know, had a bit of a hot start before, but we know they're not one of the NHL's uh, powerhouse teams, so I don't know, if, I don't think we're going to have deja vu against, you know, what we saw with the Jets against the Coyotes a couple Mondays ago. Um, I think the Jets are rested. Um, you know, they are missing their captain, Blake Wheeler, who had a very strong game uh, before getting hurt in Vancouver. But uh, I think this should be, I want to say this should be a, a W. We see Willie Jefferson's iPhone in the chat. I hear people are looking for me. Um, <laughs> sorry, I started to get, get derailed. That, that, <laughs> Willie Jefferson's iPhone that's, that's pretty, is, has entered the chat. That's pretty good. I heard people are looking yeah. for me. Oh. The, there it is. Well we got, uh, yeah, here, I'll go with the line. We got Connor, Shafley, Cop, uh, Cop moving up, Stasny, Dubois, Ehlers, uh, and Stasny and Dubois did not take the morning skate, but they're they're fine. They're good to go. Harkins, Lowry, Veselainen, and then Toninato, Svechnikov. I put, you know, Bolio was skating there. We'll see if he gets any shifts on forward. I mean, he can block shots. He's physical. I mean, sure, throw him in a, a grinder rule, but the defense back, Neil Pionk, uh, he's returned. Uh, Morrissey, Schmidt, Dylan Pionk, Stanley DeBose. So the defense... Um, you know, pretty intact. To be fair, I mean, the Jets really haven't had any serious injuries. I mean, they had Trey Fillingwheeler out to start the season with uh, with the COVID protocols, but now I think this is the first major one. Blake Wheeler out for extended period of time. You know, Connor's been at every game. Cop Ehlers. I mean, they haven't had anything uh, too serious. I mean, the defense, other than uh, Pionk's concussion, been pretty good. So I think I think they're in a good spot here uh, tonight. Turn against Buffalo. Yeah, uh, uh, this is an important game for the Jets to get two points. I'll, I'll say that. Um, you know, I think they probably liked the way that they played on Friday against the Canucks, but left a point on the table um, after regulation. But they did get three out of four in Seattle and Vancouver. Certainly, I think you'll you'll live with that. But then, you know, with three days off or two days off and one day of practice and a game against Buffalo and then another two days off before the Washington Capitals come to town, uh, and then a big game in the division with St. Louis on Sunday afternoon. You know, when you look at this, this sort of reminds me of the Arizona game a couple of weeks ago, Reem, where the team had some tough teams coming in. Um, but, you know, you got to take advantage of one of the weaker, weaker sisters in the league popping into your building. Um, and they 
didn't do a great job of that, despite what the shot clock said against uh, Arizona. You'd hope that maybe that is a bit of a lesson. Um, but I will say this, you know, just how the team responds to the loss of Blake Wheeler. Certainly, I know people are pointing out the team's record without Wheeler this year, which um, I believe is 8-2-1, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they certainly have had some success with it. But, um, you know, for guys that were hoping... They got an opportunity to maybe play a little bit more. You're going to see Andrew Cott move up in the lineup. You're going to see Paul Stastny move up in the lineup. Um, but, you know, really we'll see Shifley and Connor driving that first line, although I think Cop's a very, very good, um, you know, accompaniment to that group. Uh, and we're going to get a chance to see a little bit more Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers, who at times didn't really seem to click last year, but for my money so far, they have looked very, very good together, especially in the last week or so since they've been put together. Yeah, and as far as the, uh, I mean, different look at the power play now without um, without Blake Wheeler, and I agree. I mean, I, I, you say the records go with Blake Wheeler, but I mean, this is a guy who played big minutes. Um, he was definitely producing, and I think when you lose that in the lineup, I think it's definitely, you know, definitely sucks, but I mean, they're going to deal with it going forward. We were, you know, pleased to hear today that it doesn't require surgery they're gonna wait for the swelling to down and the swelling to go down and they'll have a better timeline uh on the injury so uh we'll wait a couple days for that but i mean connor pionk shifley uh, i guess connor on i think it sounds like he's still gonna be on the left side and they're just gonna be and shifley goes where wheeler was cop in the slot dubois down low and then ehlers schmidt morrissey stasny in the slot lowry down thank you to ken weeb uh, for marking that one down for us yesterday but a uh, different look for the Jets, but I think it's you know pretty clear that this is uh, this is Kyle Connor's team right now, and I mean he's on a tear, he's scoring goals, and uh, I think I think you know they'll be able to manage uh, without the captain for a bit here. Yeah, well, I, I still maintain it's Connor Hellebuck's team, but uh, the Connor and Connor show is in full effect on Friday night in Vancouver, and uh, both of those players will be back in Connor Hellebuck in the starting net. Uh, tonight, or, or I should say, I guess Connor and Connor was the Seattle game because, of course, Eric Comrie was in the game in uh, in Vancouver, um, and you know let that one in in the second period that I probably did not like, but I thought Comrie actually bounced back quite well in the third period. And um, hey, you know what? Bottom line is Connor Hellebuck Jets going up against the Buffalo Sabers. Good opportunity, and Buffalo for that matter, Reem is a team that you know they started off actually really quite well. Then they win their first three games and everyone was thinking that, uh, well, not everyone was thinking, but people around Buffalo going, we thought these guys were going to lose every game of this year. Well, I can tell you that things have kind of returned to what they thought. The Sabres have lost their last seven and 11 of their last 12. So um, it has been ugly for Buffalo as of late. Um, but that being said, Think of what happened when Arizona came in here a little while ago. You're certainly going to need to step up. You're going to need to play your best and, uh, you know, be uh, be better than they were that night. But certainly things have come around. Kyle Connor's on fire right now playing with Mark Shifley. They'll do it with the, uh, without the captain tonight. But Neil Pionk does return on the blue line, which is a, uh, a nice touch. We'll talk about the Jets specifically with Tim Campbell a little later on. We'll also hear from head coach Paul Maurice. But we're going to get to a little more bomber Grey Cup aftermath in just a moment. With our pal Ted Wyman, I want to thank F Apparel for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And, of course, F's been everywhere. I mean, if you saw the CFL Player Awards, Willie J wearing his custom F Apparel suit with the uh, X-Men on the inside, uh, I have a feeling there are going to be some pretty cool back-to-back -back suits made uh, over at F Apparel. Bottom line is every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. 
and F's custom-made suits start at just $400. It's locally and Winnipeg-owned with a full line of custom clothing for any occasion, not just suits, but dress shirts, winter jackets, casual chinos, golf pants, untucked dress shirts, and much more. Um, it, right now, if you figure that might be a great gift card, uh, you might want to mention that gift cards right now, if you buy them online at fapparel.com, are 15% off, so you'll be able to get a $200 gift card for $170. And if you're doing having a wedding party coming up next year, your wedding party gets 15% off when the group buys the suits from F Apparel. 190 Smith downtown or check them out. That's E-P-H-F-Apparel.com. Um, our friends at Vita Health are ready for the holidays. Uh, you know about Vita Health. We've probably grown up with Vita Health, knowing the great local company, been in business since 1936. Uh, but Vita Health, not only a great local company, but they've got a lot of great local gift ideas. Uh, or if you don't want to get someone, consider the gift of health and a Vita Health gift card. They've got all the organic, plant-based, gluten-free, and natural holiday fixings too. Stuffing, cranberry sauce, baking supplies. This was interesting. Peppermint-flavored marshmallows. Yum. Uh, eggnog, chocolate, and more. And, of course, they are stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural grocery supplements and beauty products too. Order your fresh, local, free-roaming turkey from, from Vita Health. 386 a pound, order in store. Deadline is November, December 19th. Seven Winnipeg locations in the peg, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. Find out more at myvita.com. And uh, our friends at Culligan are ready for the holidays. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems. Might be a great time, great gift for the family that'll have uh, some legs throughout the year. Um, but of course, the water softeners also help you get those sparkling clean sinks and tubs and dishes that even your mother-in-law will be cool with. And, of course, they've got the December promo, the gift of Culligan water, $9.99 for, for, per month for the first three months, or you can give the gift of Culligan water for just $9.99. Find out more. Give them a call at 694-5180. Pop down and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue or get them online at drinkculligan.com. All right, drip alert, drip alert. Ted Wyman is back on Winnipeg Sports Talk, and uh, I would imagine that Ted, like many of the people that took in the Grey Cup from the uh, non-media contingent, got a lot of rest last night because Grey Cup, it doesn't matter what role you're in, it is a grind, and uh, especially for those covering the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Ted, welcome back to the peg. First and foremost, how are you feeling, and uh, how was the week for you? Well, I had to break out the hat again, Huss, because, you know, it's a pretty momentous occasion. Back-to-back Grey Cups and Winnipeg Blue Bombers never happened before in my lifetime. And then there's an awful lot of people who are like me. Oh, you know what? Hold on a sec, Ted. I think we've got uh, maybe some sort of a uh, Hustler's hat is crooked. Is my hat crooked? Jeez. Okay. Remus is freaking out. They thought maybe everyone can hear Ted. Excellent. Excellent. Um, All right. So, Ted, overall... Before we get into the game and the championship, but I do appreciate you recognizing the importance of the, your visit today after the back-to-back by putting on this famous hat that people love in the chat so much. Um, what did you make of the week? How different was it from a normal Grey Cup, if you will, because of COVID, the smaller size, some of the, the venue, some of the events not happening this year? Um, because I'll tell you what, once we saw the game, it was I'm not sure we'll ever see a Grey Cup game that fan-wise was so heavily dominated by, you know, the home team, in this case, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 
Honestly, I have to say it wasn't that different for me. Um, you know, I covered the Grey Cup in 2019 when it was the Bombers and the Ticats, and it really wasn't much difference in, in terms of the media procedures and whatnot. We did have to get tested for COVID-19 every day, which was, a you know, a different wrinkle into it. But we were all pretty happy to do it because between vaccinations and those tests, we felt pretty comfortable that we could interact with the people that we had to deal with and, and with one another. And that was a a good part of it and you know there was a smaller party there were fewer venues there was uh you know a little i think less representation from around the country because obviously as you said it was a hamilton great cup with a smaller crowd only twenty six thousand, and most of them were tiger cats fans but it still felt good it felt like a great cup um it's a great town for football hamilton cares about the cfl and you could feel it from the minute you got there all the servers were wearing great cup shirts or hats or there were banners up that were recognizing the great cup the uber drivers knew what was going on it was not like it was lost on people that something big was happening and you could feel that all around the stadium so i thought the cfl did a great job of pulling it off i thought hamilton did a great job of pulling it off and i'm happy to have been part of that experience you know i um I really feel for the people of Hamilton right now. And we sort of talked about this yesterday because speaking, you know, from a bomber fan perspective, that was us for the better part of the last three decades until 2019, you know, some really good seasons, some good years, some disappointments, but always just falling short. And I got to tell you, Ted, the one moment that I was, it was a bit of an eye opener for me was the introduction of the Ticats at the Grey Cup in that game. And you saw the crowd. I mean, Kate Burness had said earlier on the pregame that, you know, a lot of the people were thinking it would maybe be sort of 75, 25. And then you looked out. She said, I'm going to say conservatively, 95% of this crowd is in black. They were ready to go. They were loud. They cranked up welcome to the jungle and the Ticats came out. And I mean, that was, that was a moment. And it was at that moment I thought, you know, maybe we've underestimated what this atmosphere will be like, you know, for a team like the Bombers coming in and playing a legit road game, probably, you know, a more imposing um, environment than they've been at in any time this year. I mean, you know, maybe you could say the Labor Day Classic uh, would be right up there, but I mean, it was full, it was packed, and everybody was going for the home team. Um all that being said, though, I think we've learned about this bomber team that I think what would achieve, what was achieved finally in 2019 really did rub off on this team this year. And really from the start of the season, they played like champions. They played with a championship pedigree. And uh, even when things got tough, they believed in themselves and knew that they would be able to pull it out and, and did it. Yeah, it was a big advantage to the Tiger Cats. I always thought it would be. I thought that was going to be a close game. I don't know that in perfect conditions and in a neutral site that it would have been as close, but you never know because the Tiger Cats played great football in that game. And I do also feel sorry for the people of Hamilton who did such a great job of making that um, experience good um, in the city of Hamilton for the Grey Cup and who embraced it so much. And of course, it was just a heartbreaker for them. And, uh, you know, we can get into some of the reasons why on the field. Uh, I do think there were some mistakes made by the Tiger Cats that really hurt them and let the Blue Bombers off the hook and let the Blue Bombers, you know, uh, you know, have another chance to come out and win. But nobody can take away what Hamilton did in terms of putting on a show in incredibly difficult circumstances after a cancelled season to make 
it feel like some normalcy for the people who really care about the CFL. And to me, that was a win in itself. And, you know, I was proud uh, as a, as a, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a reporter of the CFL, but I'm also a supporter of the CFL. And I was really happy to see how all that went. And, uh, you know, there was at the end of the game, uh, I got a chance to go on the field and that's a really great experience. You get to go out there, you talk to the players just after they've had their turn with the cup and, and uh, you get them at their most emotional, which is really exciting. And, and then you go and, and you look around and there was a group of Bombers fans in one corner of the stadium. It's just like it was in Calgary last year. It was a lot less people, however. And I mean, I'm thinking we're talking a few hundred. I'm not, t- I, I can't imagine there were more than a few hundred Blue Bombers fans in that st- in those stands. And, you know, they made a lot of noise at the end, but uh, for sure it was a dominant Hamilton crowd. You know, the uh, and the fans were into it. The one I had a bunch of friends that were at the game and a couple of them were in Toronto for the weekend and just went in on Sunday. And uh, my pal Jay Kilgore tweeted out that, you know, we've been in Hamilton for 15 minutes walking around in bomber gear and I've never been flipped off so many times in 15 minutes as I had. Grey Cup is on. Let's go. And uh, it was average. What was it like just before we get to the game and we'll kind of focus in on the bombers here in a minute. Um, I know you were working after the game. You had to file your reports and do all that. But once you got out and were around people and the next day, what was what was it like in Hamilton? I mean, did you really feel like that hangover, not just of a party, but a hangover of an absolutely heartbreaking loss? Like, it couldn't have been any closer for that team. Yeah, so I didn't get a great opportunity to get a sense of that, Huss, because, you know, we're working pretty late and then you're, leaving a stadium where everybody's left two hours earlier or yeah, maybe it's gone. two and a half. So you're not really getting that feel. Um, but I can say that, uh, you know, when you want, I, I didn't really see the end of the game that well because of everything's going on. So obviously I come home and I've watched it again a couple of times on TV just to make sure I recognize every nuance of what happened. And um, the, the looks on the faces of the Hamilton fans when Kyrie Wilson intercepted the ball in overtime really said it all. I mean, that was crushing disappointment, and it was really too bad. But I do think that they would have taken the words to heart from people like Orlando Steinauer and Mike O'Shea and, and all the others who recognized, the people on TSN as well, recognized that Hamilton put on a great great cup and that the Hamilton Tiger Cats represented themselves extremely well as underdogs in that game and had a very good chance to win and I do think there was a lot of pride there and and rightfully so. Well, Ted, let's talk a little bit more about the game because it was one of the more unique Grey Cup games that I can ever remember and I guess the the, the weather but specifically the wind was such a massive part of that. Um you know, many people yesterday in the chat said the biggest play Adam Big Hill made all game, and it wasn't that he didn't make any big ones in the game, but the biggest one was calling the coin toss right yeah. and being able to defer to the second half and then having Michael Shea defer again and take the wind in the fourth quarter, which certainly was impactful. But let's go back to the first quarter. What did you think of the Bombers? They They drove the football, but they didn't seem... A lot of people were talking about the running game didn't really get going. I mean, from my perspective... You know, they were doing a pretty good job. You know, they'd get three, four, five downs on a Harris carry on first down. What wasn't connecting was the passing game and the ability to keep on moving the chains. And you know, I think we saw right out of the gate that Sergio Castillo was ready to play and was on, and they got a couple of those. But, you know, I had to think that turning it into the second quarter 
when the wind was going the other way, and we would see how advantageous that was for Hamilton, that um, the Bombers kind of pedestrian start offensively, maybe left some points on the board and didn't take advantage of a great start of the Bomber defense right out of the gate. Well, look at it this way. The Bombers scored 23 points after the end of the third quarter, all with the win. They scored four with the wind in the first quarter, they squandered their opportunity in my opinion. And Mike O'Shea, I've, uh, you know, listened to his coach's show and listened to things that he said. He said, if he had one regret, it would be not trying a field goal with Sergio Castillo on their first opportunity, which would have been a 54 yarder. But I mean, that guy was going to make from, from pretty good distances with the wind. It seemed instead they kicked it away with Mark Leggio. I think it went out of bounds around the 18. It wasn't anything spectacular in terms of pinning them. And, you know, it was just one of those opportunities. Uh, you know, let's put it this way. Hamilton's kicking game, um, particularly the punting game, was terrible into the wind. But interestingly, Joel Whitford's two best punts were his first two against the wind in the first quarter. And that actually helped a lot because it kept the Bombers a little bit at bay. And Janarian Grant fumbled the return of one of them. So, um, again, it was feeling a little bit like the West Final, I thought, especially early on that maybe the Bombers were just letting the other guys hang around uh, maybe more than they should be and obviously turning a ball over there. And then once they got into third quarter, Zach Caleros with two picks that uh, could have been extremely damaging. Only one of them really was. And um, it's just interesting that uh, that team was so good at get, you know starting on time and making the plays when they needed to, taking care of the football, doing all the little things right all season long. And in the postseason, they weren't very good at that at all. And uh, it's really interesting that they were, you know, it just says so much about that team that they're able to overcome those kinds of things. No, no doubt about it. Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun recapping the Bombers back-to-back Grey Cup win and Grey Cup 108 on Sunday in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, But what did you think about their situation at halftime? You know, I put out a tweet to Bomber fans. I said, well, folks, I mean, it's 10-7. They're down by three. This is the exact same thing that happened last week. But it definitely feels different. Um, You know, honestly, talking to people at halftime back at the West Final was like, good Lord, turn the football over five times and down three points. I mean, it's right there for the team. This was a little different. I guess from my perspective, the biggest part of it, maybe the biggest surprise was how well Hamilton played, especially their defensive front on the running game and getting to Zach Caleros. Um, And then, you know, moving Masoli in was the huge wild card in that Dane Evans didn't have a lot going on. But I think we all knew that both of those quarterbacks were deadly. Masoli had played a lot in the past, had lost his job. I mean, we always hear about these Cinderella stories in championship games, and it seemed like we were maybe on the verge of one of those happening. The Bombers were getting pushed around, Huss. There's just no two, no two ways about it. The, it was happening all over the field. The Hamilton Tiger Cats were physically dominating the game up to halftime, and that's why it felt different from the Saskatchewan game because in the Saskatchewan game, the Bombers were down in the scoring position all day long, but they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. That's not getting pushed around. That's hurting yourself. And in this case, you know, I don't want to take too much away from the from the Rough Riders because they did make some plays. But, you know, we all know that the Bombers look at themselves as being the ones that kind of blew that situation. But here it was it was just different. You know, we expected that um, uh, Hamilton had the best run defense in the CFL 
during the regular season, but we expected them to have their most difficult time of the year against Winnipeg's all-star laden offensive line and bruising running back Andrew Harris. And the truth is Andrew Harris was getting nowhere uh, for that first half. I think he only had 32 yards. He was getting two or three on each carry. And we're used to, you know, his great cup history was maybe seven yards a carry coming into that. You know, we were expecting Andrew Harris to run wild, especially with Ted Laurent out of the lineup for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and a rookie in there, but no go. The Tiger Cats were right there. And when they got those two picks from Cameron Kelly in the third quarter, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know the Bombers say there were no doubters on their sideline, but when you're sitting up in the press box and you're watching that, you're thinking, this is not going Winnipeg's way. And there's a a pretty darn good chance they're going to lose this game. Yeah, well, I mean, let's get to the third quarter because I think you're with, and, and I'll say this, I love the way the Bombers came out. I thought the defense was ready to go. I thought they actually moved the football against the wind and took up some time, which I thought would be crucial. The one thing that I don't think anyone could have seen were those two picks by Zach Caleros. And we'll talk about the bounce back from him in the fourth quarter in overtime in a minute that ended up winning him the most outstanding player. Um, but you're exactly right, Ted. I mean, you know, we'd want to talk about the turnovers in the game against Saskatchewan. I mean, for the most part, that was ball security. I mean, it was the weird tip drill from Dembski that never happens. I mean, it was a lot different when you're starting quarterback who's in the middle of a dogfight against a team that's playing its ass off and is matching the physicality on the offensive line, throws those two interceptions. One was bad, but the second one, I think, was the uh, the real jolt to anyone that was wearing blue, blue and gold, whether they were in Hamilton or across the country watching the game. And Zach Calero said it was an absolutely unacceptable interception. He just simply does not see the Hamilton player. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he was throwing for Kenny Lawler, although Rashid Bailey was in the area as well. Um, but, you know, it is a mark of, of Zach Calero. So it is the mark of, uh, of a veteran quarterback, of a guy who's been through so much in the CFL through his career and still thinks back to his high school coach when he needs to calm himself down and be more cool and collected and, He's able to do that. He's able to come back and get the job done. Just forget about what happened with those interceptions. There's been a lot of great quarterbacks over history who threw a lot of interceptions, NFL players that I can think of. Their their mentality was, well, that didn't go well. We'll just go and do it again. And it does seem like Zach Caleros has that mentality. I think the Bombers did have a very strong confidence because they knew when they got the ball with the wind, that things were going to go well. And, and I mean, that's the thing with the, with the Tiger Cats, even if they got, when they got the ball with the wind, we're talking two, three play drives. It's just, it could just completely change your confidence because you knew how hard it was going into that wind and you just make these plays that were so much more wide open and, and you just cruise down the field and get it done. So when the Bombers are looking at, uh, you know, 11 minutes left in the game and, and they're down by 12, they're still thinking, man, it isn't, you know, we know we can move it quickly. And that was a huge difference, but they dug themselves a pretty good hole. And certainly those interceptions that Caleros threw were a big part of it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, uh, you know, we move on 12 down after Hamilton got that field goal in the, uh, and, and to be honest, maybe one of the biggest plays in the entire game was there inside the 10 yard line of preventing that touchdown from going in, because I can tell you a 16 point lead feels a lot different than a 12-point lead, even with the, the the field flipping the way that was with the Bombers getting the uh, getting the wind. I mean, Hamilton was able to take some time off the clock and put up points on the board. 
Um, and I think you realize when the Bombers were getting that football back after that possession, Ted, it was now or never for Winnipeg if they were going to uh, run it back. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about Big Hill with the coin toss. It's true. <laughs> he got heads right. So that was a pretty big deal. And the Bombers did have the win for the fourth quarter. But the hit he made on Don Jackson um, before that field goal that you're talking about just at the start of the fourth quarter was just unbelievable. The, the violence of it was unbelievable. He, he sent the guy flying. That's at about the three-yard line. Hamilton was at the five or inside the five three times, and they scored nine points out of that. I mean, that is an incredible job by that Blue Bombers defense to come up so big in those moments. Well, in that play, and I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same play. I mean, Big Hill was the guy that sort of leveled the hit, but I'm not sure that that play happens if Winston Rose isn't closing and getting in on it well, because just of the positioning and the angle, I think he would have been able to almost bounce off and, you know, almost have this momentum almost carrying him that. And Rose, I mean, there was a few pass plays that got connected on him, but the crazy thing about Rose is, and he's such a tiny player when you compare him to the rest of the guys out there, uh, Ted, there was that play. And I mean, he was the guy that got the penetration off the corner on the third down stop that the Bombers got, I believe, in the second half, which was another big play that flipped field position at an important time in the game. Yeah, it was a solo tackle on a, a big, strong, running quarterback. I mean, and as you said, Winston Rose looks like, you know, <laughs> when he hits you with his size, you'd think it would be a, a mosquito hitting you or something like that. But he's not. He's still very, very strong. He looks slight, but he's very strong. The guy got a pretty good look in the NFL, and there's a reason why. But that's a great solo tackle that he made. Now, unfortunately, it was literally the next series where Caleros threw his first interception. So it didn't have the effect that it might have, but it's still a very memorable play. And obviously, if he was in on that play, I don't remember who the corner coming up was when Big Hill made that hit. It may have been Rose. You're right. Um, yeah. He made that and he made other big plays. And we're not even talking about the one he made yet that we, everybody will want to talk about. We'll leave that for later. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so they get there. Now, Dembski gets the touchdown on that second drive. They go field goal, then they go touchdown. And at that point, it seemed like it was game on. Um, Dembski's role, and, and this maybe gets to the concept of who the outstanding Canadian is. I think it was a really difficult choice because... Um, you know, there wasn't really anyone that just jumped off the page. I mean, I think you could have made an argument for Andrew Harris with the way that he played, especially, especially in the fourth quarter, getting up to, what, 80 yards on the ground. Uh, but it seemed like that touchdown was, I mean, was such an important play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that that one got it. I will say this. I thought Jake Thomas maybe um, got overlooked because I thought he had a huge game on the defensive side of the football, had the sack, and uh, those were as important as uh, any other plays. But the thing about Dembski, Ted, um, that I got to give Hamilton a ton of credit for, they continue to try to run him wide like he's done with so much success all year. And that just simply was not there all day long. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is a point in the show where I would I was hoping to be able to talk about this a bit because the voting for um, the MVP is a difficult situation, um, especially in a close game. And I did have a vote. And... Um, it, it, they want it with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Well, at that time, the Tiger Cats were still winning. And they were winning, I think it was maybe before Dembski's touchdown, but, uh, you know, it might have been. It's right around there. Like, Look, like yeah, that so pretty anyway, much was five minutes. I, at that moment, I voted for Jeremiah Mazzoli as the most outstanding player. 
And I voted for Cameron Kelly with my second vote. You had to do two on your ballot. You know, and then when it got close and the Bombers took the lead, then we were asked to resubmit if the Bombers won who we thought it was going to be. But it didn't include the overtime. So at that point, I voted for um, I voted for Sergio Castillo as the Blue Bombers MVP. And my outstanding Canadian was Jake Thomas. And I mean, I, I have no issue with Nick Dembski winning it. I think Nick Dembski is a huge part of this team. He made a fantastic move to score a touchdown that brought them to within two points and maybe even one because, uh, you know, Sergio Castillo tacks on that great kickoff afterwards that gets them another point. And I, so I have no issue with Dembski, but I agree with all the people who say Jake Thomas because I thought he was the most dominant Canadian in the game. And just want, you know, just letting some of your viewers know that there's a bit of a challenge there in making that vote. And it's a, it's, it, it's a it's tough one because you, you need to be able to get it ready for TSN and for the presentation and all that kind of stuff. But you also need to know what the result of the game is. And in that game, we had no idea until the fifth quarter. So there you go. Yeah, well, and, and exactly. And well, let's talk about Castillo for a minute because, I mean, God knows we spent a lot of oxygen over the course of the year talking about the kicking game, you know, and in 25-point and 30-point blowouts. And the concept was that it doesn't matter now, Ted, but it's hard to imagine this team winning a championship without having that kicking game play a very, very important role at some point in the game. And that game was Sunday. And Kyle Walters must have been sitting there after the first few field goals, um, giving himself the old Barry Horowitz pat on the back because, um, you know, they, hey, listen, they went out and got identified what they needed to do, brought a guy in that up until Sunday didn't really have a ton of opportunities. It wasn't a big, big part of the bomber story going in, but it absolutely was. And, uh, Tell you what, I mean, all credit due to Zach Caleros. The quarterback position is so important, and what he did in the fourth quarter in overtime was phenomenal, and it ended up winning him a championship. But we're not having any of this conversation if Sergio Castillo isn't money right from the kickoff of the game to begin the 60 minutes plus. Uh, and that you couldn't say that same thing for most of the rest of the Blue Bombers. Well, it really would have been incredible to me to, you know, it still is incredible, but it would have been incredible to me for a kicker from the Blue Bombers to be MVP of the Grey Cup after the season they had. I mean, their kicking was an absolute tire fire. It was pretty much as bad as you can imagine it being in the CFL, 57% when uh, Sergio Castillo was brought to town. That's a uh, absolutely atrocious number and uh, and they had all kinds of trouble. They were trying, you know, I think Ali Mortada is probably a pretty good kicker. I really do. I just think and I was talking to uh, Paul Boudreaux, the Bombers special teams coordinator, and he said the problem with Ali Martetta is he had never kicked in Canada before, and he just wasn't used to the hash marks being so wide. And he was kicking straight balls, but they were going wide because it's so much farther between the hash marks in Canada than it is in the U.S. And But, but it still wasn't good enough, right? It just wasn't working, and they had to go out and get Sergio Castillo. It's incredible that somebody of his caliber was available. They were able to get him in here, and um, you know he did seem extremely confident going into that game, and he gave the Bombers exactly what they needed. That's a wind game, and in a wind game, you better have good kicking. And that guy goes five for five. He kicks two singles on kickoffs, which wound up being incredibly important. And you know, I just, I, I really think um, it, it was just part of what this team is all about. It's it's such a a great organization. They're so good 
at making the right moves right now. You know, it's just the Midas touch. Because realistically, we already talked about Winston Rose, and now we're talking about Sergio Castillo. Those guys joined the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in November, and they were two of the best players on the field in the Grey Cup. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and you know, Rose had been with the team before, but Castillo was really a newcomer. I know he'd been here for a cup of coffee before, but you know, this entire group really hadn't been with. And uh, i got to tell you, it was hilarious seeing him coming off the, the plane yesterday with his shirt off, and uh, he just tweeted out a picture of him wearing a blue and gold luchador mask with the gray cup from the uh, from the dressing room. I guess they're having some fun there uh, today before the official party tomorrow. Um, it really is a great story in a lot of ways. It was, we know how cruel that job is, and maybe unlike any other position in professional football, you have a couple weeks, you can be great, a couple bad weeks, there's another guy that they're bringing in. Um, and we saw that on the other side of things with Winnipeg so far this year. But a week after going one and four for the New York Jets in the NFL and being cut and being back to the drawing board with where is he going to play, um, you know, he comes here and ends up being not just a Grey Cup champion, but really a Grey Cup hero in the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it was like a year to the day or something from yeah. when he got cut by the New York Jets to going five for five in the Grey Cup. Hey, it's not the NFL, but it's pretty darn good. And he's never won a championship before. So that's a pretty exciting thing. You know, his, he never even made the playoffs as a pro before. So that's a pretty darn uh, strong performance from a guy who hadn't really been in that position before. And, you know, he, like you said before, he just gave them what they needed. He gave them a chance. It's great to see him have that opportunity and to do so well. And kudos to the Bombers for making sure they had someone in place that they would feel confident with in such a situation. And Mike O'Shea even talked about how if they had been facing the wind um, and trying to kick field goals in, in more situations, that they would have gone with Sergio. They thought he could kick it from 44. They really didn't think that uh, Hamilton's kicker could get anything outside the 30. And I watched both kickers in warm-ups, you know, both in the, um, before the game and in, in, at halftime. And some of those kicks, honestly, if they were high in the air, we're talking even from maybe 35, were blowing back towards the goalposts, even if they got through. So I don't even know how you call that one if it goes through and then blows back. But uh, <laughs> it's really an interesting one. Ted, um, let's get to OT. Um, very impressive drive for the Bombers. It seemed like they realized once they got to OT, they were in the driver's seat. I don't think they minded at all going first. They put it in the end zone. They got the two points. And then it was time for the defense to do what the defense did all year long. And that was finish off opponents. And I don't think there could be a, a more way. Uh, there, I don't think there could be a more appropriate way for this season to end than a walk-off pick touched by not one, not two, but three different players of the Bombers defense before the season was over. Well, I certainly agree with you on that, but I think we would, we would be remiss to leave out one of the most important plays of the game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and that was Dietrich Tim Nichols? White. Oh, the single! Uh, when, when Sergio Castillo kicked off to him, and I don't, don't care what Mike O'Shea says, and I don't care what Orlando Steinauer says, I have looked as closely as I possibly can, and you can't see a single player inside the 30 wearing oh. the white jersey. So if that guy can't get it out to the 25 or 30 from where he was, that it just it, it, it made no sense at all. He abs they end up getting to the 35, but they give up the point. They would have won the Grey Cup. I mean, obviously things aren't guaranteed to go exactly the same, but they had a great drive. They had a drive that would have been good enough to win the Grey Cup, and they were not able to. And I just want to tell a funny story here, Huss. Um, a lot of the media 
were uh, they were taken down to field level to wait to go onto the field before the game ended. So they were down there at around five minutes. I personally said, I can't do that. I still got a game. I got to write a story here. Um, and I need to know a result before I can actually write it. So I can't go down to field level yet. But the ones who were down there, while they were being uh, marshaled down there or whatever the word is you want to use, that's when the kick happened and uh, the, the kickoff and when the single was given up. And they said from where they were, they couldn't see the scoreboard. And these were people who, some of them were Winnipeg media, some of them were national media and whatnot. So they thought Hamilton was driving for the winning field goal all along. They literally were watching this happening, thinking <laughs> that the Bombers are about to lose. I mean, all Hamilton has to do is kick a 10-yarder. And that's how it went. And I mean, honestly, uh, I can't even imagine <laughs> what that must have been like. They, all of a sudden, they kicked the field goal and, and nobody's cheering or anything like that. It's like, what the heck just happened here? So You know what? Marshall Ferguson fine. told us the the exact same thing yesterday, and that was a, a real eye-opener. Uh, just before we go, though, uh, the way the thing ended, um, yeah. three Bombers getting in on it, uh, a perfect way, an appropriate way to end a, a championship season that was led by the best defense we've seen in a long, long time. Absolutely, and I asked that question uh, on the field of Adam Big Hill, uh, and, and you know, I, I said, could it be even more, ever be more fitting? And he said, it absolutely could not be more fitting. It's the way that this team became champions all season long. They dominated. The defense was fantastic. They scored opponents like crazy in the fourth quarter. Wow, they did it again, didn't they? That's just what they do. And uh, and to be honest, I, I agree with you. And and really, come on, Winston Rose, what an incredibly alert play that was. Oh. What a, you know, can you even imagine having the uh, the presence of mind to see that ball there, to see your teammate coming towards him and to scoop it back to him? I don't think it gets talked about enough. I think that's going to be thought of. I mean, people are calling it a fluky play. No, I don't think that's fluky at all. That was seriously talented, and uh, you know it, it should be on highlight reels forever. Yeah, uh, it, it will be in the city of Winnipeg. Ted, great work all week. Thanks for doing this. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow when uh, they uh, bring everyone together one more time to celebrate the champs. You betcha, Has. Uh, thanks very much, buddy. Great stuff. Uh, awesome, awesome copy all week long in the Winnipeg Sun. There is our pal Ted Wyman joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. We're going to get to the Jets, Jets, Buffalo Sabres coming up. Of course, our friends at Manitoba Battery are ready for winter. If you need a battery or you figure that you're going to need a battery, get the best price on a battery in town and shop local over at Manitoba Battery, $89.50 with Core Exchange inside, or they'll deliver it to you citywide for $104.94 and then a $15 rebate on the Core after that. Um, they've also got uh, batteries for all the sleds out there as you're getting ready to hit the trails, usually between $65 and $75. But the bottom line is, if you need a battery for anything, shop local, Manitoba Battery. Donnie and the guys have you covered. Find out more at manitobabattery.com. They're at 1026 Logan. Or give them a call and get started at 783-8787. Uh, tomorrow's the big party. And coming soon, uh, under Christmas trees around Winnipeg, will be Winnipeg Blue Bombers Championship gear. Coming up at Royal Sports, your headquarters for all things Winnipeg, whether it be Blue Bomber gear, championship gear, Jets gear, or your favorite team from around the world of sports. Royal Sports is your hookup for it. Of course, they're also the uh, hockey superstore. They've got all the snowboard gear ready. And especially if you've got kids, teenagers, check out what they've got going on in the King's Skate, Snow, and Surfside for some amazing holiday gifts, 
Bomber Championship gear coming up soon, Royal Sports, and you can uh, find them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemmon. And again, a cheers to our friends at Not Auto Corp, Trevor and their guys back from the Grey Cup, back to business, waiting for you down at Waverly and McGilvery. If you are uh, looking for a new car, before you do anything, start your search at Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team, Waverly and McGilvery, Not.ca online, of course, the Winnipeg Car Lab as well. Big thanks to Trev for their support of us and, of course, longtime supporters of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right, let's get ready for this game tonight. And uh, welcome back, our good friend Tim Campbell from NHL.com. Happy holidays, Tim. How are you? Hi, Hus. Best of the season to you. I'm well. Uh, hey, before we get into the hockey, what do you think about those Bombers? Hard to believe. After all those years working at the Freep, we had a 29-year Grey Cup drought, and they go back-to-back. Yeah, there was some drama on Sunday. Let's let's leave it at that. I, I you know, I'm sure a lot of nerves were frayed, but uh, happy times in Winnipeg. No doubt about it. Uh, lots going on in the National Hockey League. I, before we even get to this game tonight between the Buffalo Sabers and the Winnipeg Jets, um, uh, you know, working with Nash, the, the NHL.com, you've got you know colleagues from around the league. Um, just from a hockey fan's perspective, especially someone that is hoping that we see NHLers at the Olympics. Man, it's been ugly on the COVID-19 list. I mean, just star players, players around the league, big numbers of some teams. Calgary's not playing for a week. I mean, what do you make of how serious this situation is for the National Hockey League? And I guess looking down the road, what it could mean for Olympic participation. Yeah, I don't know the answer, the final answer to that, Hus. It seems to me everybody wants to know. Um I, I can only tell you the feeling today. Uh, I'm here at Rogers Place in Edmonton uh, today, and I can tell you the feeling around here is uh, is not a great one. Uh, you know, we have increasing COVID positives, players going into the protocol, uh, more in Calgary today, uh, Carolina, Boston, now some in Vancouver, we're told, and Ryan McLeod now been added to the COVID list here in Edmonton. Um, I don't think this is quite feeling like that day in March 2020, but it's starting to take on a bit of that air um, where there's a bit of worry and, uh, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. Connor McDavid was in the interview room here this morning, um, you know, full of non-answers, um, kind of worrying, wants to get more information about, you know, possible Olympic participation, um, wants to go, but understands now there are some serious issues you know, troubling the league. So as far as COVID and, and other restrictions, maybe in China. So um, I don't know, it's an unsettling, unsettling is the right word, I think today. Um, you know, of course, everyone wants to see a best on best hockey tournament, uh, myself included, but the practicality of that uh, seems to be shrinking more towards a 50-50 scenario here now than, you know, some weeks ago. And I don't know, myself, I grow more concerned every day that, uh, that this is in jeopardy. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, you know, maybe some extra diligence and, um, you know, more vaccinations will get this this thing turned around and, and through the Christmas holidays we'll, we'll feel like in a safer and a better place to, to have an Olympics. Uh, let's cross our fingers for that. Yeah, no doubt. I'm pretty much right there with you. Definitely hopeful, but, uh, it, it, you know, when you see what's happening almost by the hour right now, um, it's certainly taken its toll on the uh, hope and the optimism that we'll finally see a great best-on-best -best tournament. Um, Jets back in action tonight. 
Um, you know, they got three of four in Seattle and Vancouver coming out of a disappointing game last week against the Carolina Hurricanes. What do you make of the Jets going into this week? Home games against Buffalo, Washington, and St. Louis, Tim. Um, you know, they had a great start. They had a really rough couple of weeks where they sort of forgot how to score goals. They seem to get back at it. A lot of those players that were quiet were resuming, but now they're doing it without Blake Wheeler, who, you know, unfortunately was authoring his best game of the season on Friday against Vancouver, scored his first goal, could have had probably a hat trick in the first period. The line was on fire, led by Kyle Connor. And um, and now, you know, they're back at it without their captain in the lineup, um, you know, for three very important home games. Yeah, um, it's unfortunate, you know, the Blake Wheeler situation is very unfortunate. Um, you know, he's been such a soldier consistently through the seasons here. And now the past two seasons, he's been running some issues with, with health and and injury. So um, I think they had a bit of an audition on this, this storyline earlier. They'll maybe figure out a way to get, you know, get through this period until he can come back. Um, what I think, you know, I, one of the things I was watching uh, last week and we'll be watching keenly this week is to see if the team will sort of continue to get its urgency level up. I, I, I don't know if I, I think I detected that waning a little bit um, when the goal scoring was difficult and there were some, uh, you know, troubling losses that loss to Arizona was, it didn't sit very well with a lot of folks, including me. I mean, when you, when you have that much, opportunity and that much offense and you can't find a way to put in uh put in any goals at all um you know to me it speaks a bit to urgency and bearing down so um i i, I certainly detected a rise in that just watching the games from television um in vancouver and seattle uh, certainly more of what what's expected out of the jets and you know i think what they're capable of so there's something i would like to really see that that urgency continue and maybe even continue to go up this week uh, with the home games. And I mean, that's, that's the road to the playoffs, um, you know, into a good position in the central division. Cause if you start kind of just going along not, not casually, I know Paul Maurice likes to use the word casual a lot. I know I wouldn't describe the jets as casual, even when they were having their troubles scoring, but you know, it's, it's a hard league to score and it's a hard league to win. in if you don't have some of that urgency every night, um, I don't think you're going to generally like your results. So hoping that they can, you know, find a way to build off that. Cause I, I liked quite a lot of that urgency I saw last week. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think it was led by Connor Hellebuck in net, which is sort of a strange thing to say for a guy that hasn't been out, but I mean, he really does. I think he is sort of the pulse of this team. Some of the things that he said a couple of times so far this season, after the Minnesota game going into Calgary, that we talked about before, you know, as well as into that game, against the Kraken, which many people, myself included, thought maybe they'd go with Comrie, give him an extra day of rest and play against Vancouver. But it was the Connor and Connor show. We've talked a lot about Connor Hellebuck in the past. I'm interested in your thoughts on just how much Connor, Kyle Connor has raised his level of play, Tim. Um, he's right up there with the top goal scorers in the league. And for a guy that was at times, I don't want to say thought of as a passenger, but as a beneficiary of playing with Shifley and Wheeler, I don't think there's any doubt that he has been the guy that's been driving whatever line he's been on. And uh, man, he's turning into a real NHL superstar. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, that he has turned into a driver for sure. I, I, I'm not sure if you had... Have you had had folks telling you that 
their opinion is he's been a passenger at some point in his career with the Jets because I I haven't seen that. He's not a you know he's not a physical energy kind of player in that respect. But I you know apart from maybe his debut with the Jets and there was a bit of an unsettled time in the beginning where he actually went to the Moose for a short bit. Um, you know, if you think Kyle Connor has been a passenger, I don't think you're paying attention very well. So I, you know, I, I can tell you this, um, you know, seeing and, and talking to different folks around the league, um, different, you know, different general managers and, and, uh, hockey people, uh, certainly have taken notice. Uh, Kyle Connor is, is, is among the elite goal scorers and offensive players in this league and, and all round players. And I think, you know, there's been urgency in his game. I, I, I've gotten the sense of that from the exhibition games on this year. There's another mm-hmm. level here that we're being treated to. Um, you know, I think some of it is he just really wants to be in the Olympics. Um, you know, I, he also wants to be known as an elite player and someone who can be counted on. I, I really think um, it's a credit to him after being, you know, a pretty significant hero mm-hmm. in the series against Edmonton last season that He's chosen to build off it instead of resting his laurels on it. So, um, you know, the, the plays at high speed, the ability to put the puck in the net, um, you know, the, the ability to read the game and see the game and make the plays, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of that elite player sense where, you know, what's happening, you know, a move or two or three down the road here and you can make the right play. Uh, where to go? I mean, that goal in Seattle, uh, last week when Shifley had, he gave oh. the puck off to Shifley and then kind of, he kind of sneakily was in the crowd and then just backed out of it and, you know, made himself open and available for, you know, a one-timer. I mean, that's a, that's a, a clever, uh, impressive, skilled, highly skilled play um, that not a lot of players can make. So I, I'm, as a fan watching the games, I'm, I'm thrilled to be watching this sort of new level of Kyle Connor. Um, and you know, the good part is to me, he's still a young player and there's probably lots, lots more to come and maybe a few more levels to come. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And I love your choice of the words urgency because he has been playing with it. And I think this even goes back to when he was Mm -hmm. playing with Dubois earlier this year, Dubois was doing such a good job of going to the net. And I think Connor realized early that I want to make the most of playing with this guy. I'm going to need to be getting into those areas as well. Hey, they did a lot of those beautiful, you know, your one-timers, your plays kind of outside of the blue paint. But as he continued to score, we started seeing him doing it in other areas. And I mean, the other thing, Tim, that, you know, can't be overlooked is the fact that I think his, his commitment to being more of a factor in the defensive zone um, has been incredibly important. And it's shown in some key back checks at certain points in the game, which sometimes are overlooked, but they can be as important as goals scored in the other end. Well, that's, that's right. Huss. And uh, you know, one of the things uh, and it's interesting and you see this so often, at least I, I think I do uh, in younger players when, who, you know, sort of go up the food chain, they go up the ladder of, of impact players on the game. Um, you know, how to make a difference for your team. For lots of players, it's scoring, but for some players, it's checking. For other players, it's, you know, being a good playmaker. Um, you know, and it's interesting to see these players when they start to have an impact on the game to figure out how to have more impact on the game. And that, that comes with strength and speed and confidence. And so as Kyle's gained some of those things, I think he's realized you know, he can have even more effect on the game. It's not just scoring, it's 
you know, I'm quick enough now to be a good back checker. And I'm smart enough now that I can be a disruptor when I'm playing defense and be part of that five-man defending unit as they like to play it in their system all over the ice. Whereas when you're a rookie or a young player, like you're almost, it's almost like you're focused on, you've got to do one thing. Maybe I better score a goal or, you know, maybe tonight I better not, you know, miss my man or, or, or miss a defensive assignment. You get really focused on sort of one thing and you try to work on it and do it better. And then as you get better at those things, you can sort of collect things for your arsenal. And I think Kyle Connor has begun to collect those things realizing that he can have more of an impact than just beating opposing goalies. So I think, you know, these other things have stemmed from the initial confidence of, hey, I can that. Um, and, you know, as it goes here, and that's how elite players become elite players. I don't, you know, there, there's rarely an elite player who just comes in and does it all immediately and, you know, is good from the time he's 19 years old till the time he retires. I mean, that... I can't think of one more than maybe one or two examples where that happens. So uh, to me, Kyle Connor is building a really impressive resume. And I can tell you Mm. that people around the league, the national hockey league are noticing. Tim, thanks for doing this. I know you got a presser just on the way out. You're watching Oilers leaves tonight. Uh, I would expect a level of urgency from an Edmonton team. That's had a couple of rough weeks. Kind of reminds me of conversations we were having about the jets about two weeks ago. Yeah, the Oilers are, you know, they're in a funk. They can't score. They don't, they don't, you know, they're not getting much five on five. They're finding ways to lose. They can't seem to get a lead. You know, their depth issues have come up again. They've had some injuries. There's all kinds of issues going on here in Edmonton. Uh, They're going to get Duncan Keith back tonight, uh, which probably is important. And, uh, you know, we'll see two pretty, two or three pretty elite players going head to head tonight. Austin Matthews. Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid. Um, so, you know, everyone's looking forward to that here well, in Edmonton. Tim, thanks sure. so much for the time. Uh, busy night for everyone working at NHL.com with 13 games on the docket, that's for sure. Uh, you be well. If we don't talk to you before Christmas, have a wonderful holiday. Thanks for everything, but we do look forward to a chat soon. Thanks, Austin. Same, uh, same back to you, everyone there. Have right a great day. There's Tim Campbell. You can follow him on Twitter at TimNHL and check out all of his work covering uh, the teams in Western Canada for NHL.com. All right. We've got a, a programming update. I think John Rush is going to join us in 10 minutes or so. Should be a lot of fun to welcome in John. Probably a very different perspective on... Uh, watching the gray cup this year as opposed to participating in 2019 we're definitely looking forward to that been wanting to have john on the program for a while so this should be a heck of a lot of fun uh before we do that um the holidays are here and it's time for entertaining and if you're serving beer to your guests well i think it's appropriate that with the holiday season you give them the best local beer around and that of course is the beer from our friends at little brown jug now, you're all familiar with the 1919, um, but are you familiar with all the incredible beers, including the new Double in the Winter Variety Pack? You should be. Uh, those are great. They've got two or four of their top flavors, uh, top brands. You can buy those at your local beer store, or, of course, you can get it down at the Tap Room on William Avenue. Uh, the 1919, I think, is the safest and most popular. It is the iconic. But you also might want to try the uh, Celebratory Brute IPA which, of course, is the new beer that they put together for the fifth anniversary celebrated this month. And it's a perfect time with the Bombers winning because it is a champagne-like 
dry, extra dry IPA with flavors and citrus and store for stone fruit. You can get that as well down at the uh, at the brewery on William Avenue in a great spot to pop in. Check out their gift boxes. Check out all the great merchandise they've got there. You can put together. And if you don't want to get down there, get onto the website at littlebrownjug.ca. They'll curate gift boxes for you, or you can make your own, wrap it up, get it looking nice and good, and deliver it wherever you need in town. Free delivery right now. More details over at littlebrownjug.ca. Our friends at Princess Auto continue to uh, be over the moon celebrating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers championship. Of course, Princess Auto, great sponsor of the Bombers, been doing the teammates of the game all season long. And uh, I know probably half the staff will be down there at the uh, stadium tomorrow celebrating the Blue Bombers' great win. Big sponsors of curling as well. Have to uh, give a big congratulations to another Princess Auto team, Chelsea Carey, good friend of the program, along with uh, Colin Hodgson from Mike McEwen's team, are now into the mixed doubles Olympic qualifying, which is happening at Portage. We'll be all over that. We do tons of curling reports for Princess Auto. Princess Auto is the spot where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or maybe to get what's on your holiday list is at Princess Auto. You can find out more at princessauto.com or check out their Facebook page for a great half-hour video of some amazing gift ideas for uh, the... uh, person that loves projects in your family that's all available on the facebook page for princess auto and you can find out more at princessauto.com and uh big night tonight if you're not going to the game what better place to go than boston pizza get all the games center ice and all the restaurants you can get the jets on you get the leafs oilers on a ton of games obviously they'll have the jets on the big screen with the big sound tonight and while you're there you can enjoy some incredible package deals, including the wing deal, which is also great for delivery, by the way, or at bostonpizza.com if you're ordering at home. Ice-cold schooners, Boston's wings, delicious pizzas, and so much more. Check out the new holiday menu right now at bostonpizza.com or pop by your local BP right now or this evening and throughout the holiday season. Big thanks to Boston Pizza for their support. All right, let's get Remus back in here. So, Remo, we haven't, uh, we're going to talk more bombers with John Rush coming up. I figure that maybe we'll just hold off, wait for John to come in, and then after we finish that portion of the program, we can get back to the Jets. We'll hear from Coach Paul Maurice, and we're going to need a few minutes to get to the cool bet lines because, as I mentioned with Tim, we have a massive 13-game slate tonight in the NHL. A lot of games. Uh, a lot of games. That's 14. Sorry, I'm just editing my... Uh... My microphone here. Um, yeah, jo- yeah, John Rush coming on. I'm excited to talk to John Huss. I mean, he was on uh, the 2019 Grey Cup team. He would probably have some insight on what it's like to win, the celebrations. As far as tonight, I mean, I'm having trouble keeping up with uh, what's going on tonight. We do have one less game now, actually. Carolina and Minnesota was postponed. So it seems what? like, yeah, it was postponed. Yeah, it seems like. It just gave out the wild on the lock shop, and I have it locked in as a parlay. That's been blown up by the damn virus. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a push now. Uh, it's going to be going to be a push. Um, so, well, I mean, it seems like every team is dealing with stuff. Calgary, Tim had an emergency press conference at Brad Living. Boston's uh, got people in protocols. Carolina, uh, I'm trying to think about uh, Matt Barzell. I saw Devon Taves. I mean, a lot of teams. And I think the topic of the Olympics is coming up, especially this uh, potential three to five week quarantine if you test positive, which sounds pretty um terrible 
if you ask me. So uh, I think this, and but it's not just NHL. I mean, uh, the Rams um, ha- are going into some some kind of I don't say lockdown, but some kind of intensive protocols right now. We saw Higby and Jalen Ramsey yesterday. The Browns have a number of players. I don't know if they have a tight end on the roster now. Actually, I saw Jarvis Landry and a number of players. So. I mean, this is just a thing that every team uh, across North American sports is dealing with. So uh, we'll have to, you know, see uh, what happens here. And, you know, thankfully we do have the Jets game on on tonight. Yeah, well, and of course the Jets have already been through this to a much lower degree with Wheeler and Shifley being out for the, uh, through the protocols earlier on in the season and both being, you know, positive and being asymptomatic and or being symptomatic and having to miss the 10 days. But Dave Naylor just tweeted out, and this is actually a great point. He said it's looking more and more like the CFL threaded a needle with the timing of the Grey Cup. Um, the fact that they were able to get the playoffs played the way they did, have the Grey Cup go off the way that it did with you know so much success despite the increased protocols and some of the events not happening, you do wonder what it would be. It, you know, like say you back this up a couple weeks, and you know this sort of increase in these case numbers. Um, you know, what that might have done to the event. Bottom line is, the good thing is it didn't. We're going to have a big party tomorrow, uh, although can't have a parade, which uh, which is certainly unfortunate. No one will ever forget the parade of 2019. Welcome the Great Cup back to Winnipeg after 29 years. But I have to say, um, I mean, again, I don't want to get in a bunch of COVID takes. I mean, we kind of, we've been living with this for a while, but it is concerning right now. And the one thing that we just have to hope is that, you know, going forward, you know, more is this Omicron or whatever it's called, the details that we have that it's not as severe right now. And bottom line is if you're vaccinated, you should be, you should be okay and you won't end up in hospital. And maybe that can get some of the few holdouts to, uh, to come around and continue uh, to hopefully getting us out on the other side. But there's no doubt right now, National Football League, NHL, basically any league that is playing right now, NBA certainly in the middle of it, um, dealing with a lot. But as Naylor said, CFL maybe threaded the needle. The Grey Cup is in the books. The Grey Cup as a trophy is back in Winnipeg. And uh, we're going to have a fun week coming up here in Winnipeg and, of course, on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I'm really looking forward to this next conversation. This is the first time we've had this guest on, although you're all quite familiar with his musings on Twitter and, of course, being a very popular member of the 2019 Grey Cup champs. For the first time, let's welcome in former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, the one and only John Rush. John, what is up, man? It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm super excited to, you know, finally be able to uh, be a part of this because I've, you know, I've watched it for a while now and, you know, it's it's great to be here and uh, being able to talk some football. I don't get to talk football as much nowadays, but uh, it's always a good time when I do. Well, I, I mean, let, let me ask you this right off the bat. How much different and was it even more difficult watching that game as a fan on the weekend than it was as a participant in the historic game that brought the cup back in 2019 as part of the team? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it was a lot more stressful. <laughs> I can lie. It was uh, very stressful to watch that game. Uh, and, you know, I remember the nerves before the game in you know in 2019 how nervous i was personally and and everything kind of going on but uh, you know after that first drive in 2019 i'm like oh yeah we're good this like this isn't even a competition like it, it's fine we're fine uh this was a little bit different this was a little bit you know i was i was stressed especially when you know especially when dane got hurt and mazzoli got in 
they were kind of hot. You know, they were kind of they were kind of hot at that point. Their defense was on fire. Their you know Mazzoli came in and was slinging the ball. I was like, I wasn't like worried, but I, it was a lot more stressful than I remember 2019 being at that point in the game. Well, and, and you know, you make a great point. I mean, we've talked about it, but frankly, all season long and all into the Grey Cup. I mean, you and your Bomber teammates in 2019 absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, it was a it was a beatdown. And in professional football, when you're winning all those one-on-one battles, when you're going hat-to-hat on the line of scrimmage, and you're doing it for 60 minutes, you're winning that football game 99 times out of 100. I mean, barring some sort of a miracle. How, uh, how impressed and maybe concerned were you with the way the Ticats stepped up in the trenches in the game on Sunday, because that was a place where I think myself and most people, at least from Winnipeg, were expecting it's a huge advantage for the Bombers. We saw what happened against Saskatchewan. We are able to get past five turnovers, no problem. Um, the Ticats stepped up and really made it a game starting in those battles right on the line. You know what, 100%. And and this is kind of something I always, uh, you know, say when, you know, people are kind of talking about, uh, you know, sports is, you know, they're getting paid too. And that's something that a lot of people kind of forget about is, you know, it's like, you know, as, as biased as we are to Winnipeg, you know, the Tiger Cats and the Tiger Cats D-line and, and those coaches, they're all getting paid, right? So they're going to come out. They're not just going to roll over, you know, as much as in 2019, they kind of did. Uh, you know, that's not really what was going to happen, right? So, uh, and they came out and for three quarters, their D-line was crazy you know they were they were good they they schemed our offense very well and it wasn't it wasn't from what i could see it wasn't so much the fact that like it's not like we were getting bullied it was they schemed it to take advantage of certain areas and certain um you know certain areas of opportunity that they saw on film and it was it was interesting it was very interesting to see because no other defense pretty much all year had been able to do that and I think it took them kind of by surprise a little bit there. Um, and they just, the, the, the Ticats defense just really didn't have the stamina because you could tell in that fourth quarter and into overtime, they, it kind of like, it kind of petered out. But it, in that first, second quarter, mm-hmm. I was, I was like, wow, like they, they look good. And, you know, Jaquera Davis is, he, guy's a baller. The guy is a good football player, right? But, but you know, it's, it's something it's something to remember is they're getting paid too, right? It's, it's something <laughs> always, always people always kind of forget about is they're always like, you know, like they're surprised. But I'm like, you know, they they get paid to be in that game. <laughs> um, hey, John, let's talk about the win for a minute. Um, you know, as a guy that played so much on defense and on special teams, th- this Grey Cup more than any I can remember in recent history was, um, you know, sort of an uphill and a downhill game. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about O'Shea deciding to, you know, opt out from getting the football and get the wind in the fourth quarter. Um, but for folks that maybe haven't played in those conditions, give people an idea about how much of a problem it is, especially for an offense to be going into that and the complete turnaround in 180 that we saw in the Bombers' offensive production when they had the wind behind them, but also had their backs against the wall down 12 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny uh, because a lot of people don't really understand that. And it's it, it's interesting to, like, people have never kicked a football into 70, you know, mile per hour wind before and have it literally just basically go straight up. You know, like, people, 
most people have never had that experience. And I've been playing football since I was nine years old. I've been, I've played in all the conditions. I've seen all of this before. Right. And it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how much the weather has an impact on the game. And this isn't like, this isn't the first time that O'Shea has done something like this before. You know, I played, uh, you know, I played three seasons with O'Shea and there was a couple of games there where it was, it was very windy and I didn't play a single play during the game because I was on punt and kickoff return and we elected it to kick it twice. And it's interesting because that's basically like giving up another turnover, right? You're giving the, you're giving the tie catch, you're giving the opponent team an additional possession by, you know, electing to kick twice. So it just really kind of goes, if, if you're a coach and you're purposely giving the other team an additional possession, and we know how important turnovers are and possessions are, it goes to show you how important and how much of an impact the weather, the wind and things like that have on the outcome of the game. And you, and, and like you said, you can see in the fourth quarter, the offensive production we had the difference, you know what I mean? From, from where it started with the winds, you know, with the wind not in our favor to, to the fourth quarter being, being a huge factor and us driving down the field and, and, you know, ultimately, you know, winning. That was game. there, um, was there any doubt in your mind at halftime that when it came time to make the decision of what they were going to do, that Mike O'Shea would say, we'll take the wind in the fourth quarter and we'll be fine with kicking off in the third. I, I no, I knew, I knew um, when he deferred, he was doing that. That, that, that hundred percent is like O'Shea's like, that's his MO. That's what he does. So, I had no, I had no doubt in my mind that that's what he was doing from the first kind of right off the bat. And it, and it kind of, it kind of shows you the importance of getting up early though. So that the coach then has options at halftime. You know what I mean? So at halftime, if it's like, Hey, it's like 21, nothing, then you can actually take that. You know, you can take it. You don't really have to worry about the wind as much. You know what I mean? Whereas like, if you're in a scenario where it's like, yikes we need the wind in the fourth you we're going to give them that additional uh, you know possession it makes it, it you know no coach wants to give the the, the uh, opposing team an additional possession right that's not like mm-hmm. that's not something a coach wants to do so it you know it, that's the importance of kind of getting up early and not waiting to the fourth quarter right <laughs> no doubt hey a special shout out to janelle tarnopolsky Woot woot, former pegger here celebrating from North Carolina. Janelle, great to have you with us. Yeah, hit the sub. We'll uh we'll be talking bombers back to back for a while here and keeping you up to date on the Jets and all the other fun stuff happening back in your former hometown. John Rush is with us. We're talking about the uh, back-to-back victory in Grey Cup 108 for the Blue Bombers. John is a guy that was a part of a championship team and a championship defense. I'm sure you um, we're impressed all season long with what that defensive unit was doing. I was talking with Ted, and I know Adam Big Hill mentioned it after the game. I don't think there could not be a more appropriate way for this team to win a championship than on a walk-off interception that was touched by three different players. Um, you know, just a comment about that game, but you know what you've seen from this group all season long, building on what you guys had as a dominant defense in 2019 and being able to finish the job and win a second championship, but specifically that defense really from start to finish of this season was the standard in the CFL. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because that, that I played linebacker my entire career. Right. And it was only when I got to this, when I got to the CFL, 
transitioned me over to fullback. And uh, so I, you know, I've kind of played it all. I played offense, defense, special teams. And, you know, I've been a part of really bad defenses before, and I've been a part of really amazing defenses before. And, and watching how Richie Hall implements the defense, watching how he coaches the guys and watching them kind of just take control and do their thing. It is so fun to watch. And it was so fun to watch these guys all season. And, and I get it like defensive football, like this is like the biggest knock on football. Like nobody, nobody likes defensive football. It doesn't drive ratings, more points means more people watch, et cetera. Like I get it. I get it. But as a defensive guy, I loved it. Like I loved everything about watching this defense play. They were technically sound. They ran to the football. They beat like the heck out of guys. Like they were crushing people. Like it was, it was just fun to watch these guys do their thing all season long. And, and, you know, like I, I know a lot of fans were like really upset at the end of the season there when they, they lost that fourth quarter record for like the least amount of points in the fourth quarter. And, and I was just like, none of these guys care about that. I I can guarantee you 100% I will bet my literal house on it. Not a single, I bet you none of those guys even knew that was a thing until <laughs> somebody in the media told them about it. I guarantee you that. And, and all these fans were upset. They're like, they work so hard. They don't care. They work hard to win the great cup. And that's it. And that's what I love so much about that defense is you can see they're doing it for each other. You know, none of those guys care about the stats. None of those guys are like complaining about not getting interceptions or this and that and not getting playing time. They're doing it for each other because they love football and they love to hit people. And you know, that, that is just, that is fun football to watch for me. You know what I mean? I, you can't, you can't get that football everywhere. Right. Hey, Hey, I got to ask you this and you'll know, I mean, as a guy that spent so much time contributing to bomber special teams, um, I mentioned this yesterday and I'll say it again in a field position game and especially a situation that the Bombers were in, the punt game was so important. How impressed were you with the Bomber punt cover team? I mean, to me, I thought they did, I mean, as good of a job as we've seen at any time this year, eliminating any sort of runbacks, especially when you're going against the wind, when, you know, sometimes you're worrying about the penalty, the no yards coming up, and, you know, you don't have the same sort of time to prepare with the hang time on it. How impactful do you think were the coverage teams on for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Sunday? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny because that's one of the most underrated, you know, least talked about positions. Always right? overlooked. It's always overlooked. But it, see, and, it, the dif- and, and this is the difference is people think, it, think it's not important because they watch the NFL. And the NFL, everyone fair catches or on kickoffs, they kick it out the back of the end zone. So special teams in the NFL really – isn't a factor as much unless you had a guy like Devin Hester, which we really don't see that often. Right. So like in the NFL, it's not a huge thing, but in the CFL, it's a completely different game. It is massive. It is geared towards special teams and having uh, and and like the five yard rule, forcing guys to return it, you know, no fair catch and things like that. It, It has massive implications on game outcomes. And like you said, in a game field position game, like the Grey Cup was with the high winds, it's massive. Not allowing their their returners to more than I think the longest return was uh, on punt was probably five or ten yards. Taking zero no yard penalties, another massive 
you know, thing that people like, th these are just things that are overlooked, but that are talked about <laughs> literally all year. And it, it, there's so much preparation that goes into this that it, you know, because in a massive field goal game, like or field position game like that, not allowing them, not allowing that guy to have a 15 yard return or take, not taking that 15 yard, no yards penalty. Like if he's catching that ball on the 55, which he did a couple of times, a 15 yard penalty puts them into field goal range with the win. You know what I mean? That's the, that's literally the difference between winning the game and not. And so there, it's just like the, the small minutia, things like that rarely get talked about. Uh, and it, it was, it was great to see how they, they, they covered, they got down there and, and they, they, they those were some good returners. It's not like those guys were chumps. Like at one point they put like Tunde uh, Adeleke back there and that guy runs like a legit laser four, three, that guy is fast. Like that guy, that guy is not easy to catch and, and nothing, you know what I mean? So uh, it was it was great to see that and and you know it's it's like I said it's one of those things that's often not really talked about uh, in the media but it's one of those small things that makes it makes really all the difference in a game like that it's all about you know field position strategy and things like that and it it makes a huge difference yeah if the old, if you know you know and I think everyone should know because that, I mean it was all phases of the game and, and you know funny I mean you mentioned special teams we talked about kicking all year long I mean as the team's beating the hell out of everyone in the league you know the kickers had a tough time putting it through and you knew at some point if you're going to win a championship at some point the kicker was going to need to step up and Sergio Castillo was a great great story and a huge part of this game and many people would argue that he maybe was the most outstanding player um John Rush is with us. John, now your inaugural visit on Winnipeg Sports Talk has produced incredible comments on your luxurious flow. Uh, but the uh, the ring that you have on right now is quite. Can you just pull that as close up? People, everyone wants to get a look at it. There, uh, you, look at that. That is an absolute beauty. Do you do you wear that every day, or just uh, <laughs> you know kind of pull it out every now and then? It's got to be a. It's got to be a showstopper when you're out at the grocery store or walking the dog. Yeah, no, I, I don't pull it out uh, every day. It just sits uh, it sits at my desk uh, until I, I really need it for special occasions. And uh, I'll be at the I'll be at the bomber uh, parade uh, on Wednesday and I'll bring it out for that. But it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I, I wish it. I wish I could bring it out more often, but it's 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 heavy. It, it it weighs my hand down. It makes it very difficult to actually do things. So uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come out as often as I, I actually want it to. Well, I, I've got to ask you this because it is the uh, the symbol of victory in professional sports. Um, it is, I mean, one of if not the most special championship in this city, at least in our lifetimes, because of the wait before that it happened. But. I think it also symbolizes what this team and this organization has become. And as a former player and someone that still supports the team is close to many people on the club. I've got to ask you about the culture that's been created. We hear a lot about it and the media talk about it and players talk about it. But for people that are listening as someone that was with the Winnipeg blue bombers, kind of going through some lean times leading into the great victory in 2019, what can you tell our listeners about what Mike O'Shea instilled as a leader in this club, um, really going right up to the top of Wade Miller, but maybe focus in as a player on Mike O'Shea and what he has been able to do to instill a level of expectations um, and not just expectations, but belief in one another that we heard over and over. 
Sometimes people talk a lot about, oh, the culture. They've got a good culture. They need a better one. But it really seems like this one is legit. And heck, the proof's in the pudding. It's resulted in two straight championships. Exactly. And, and you know, it's always funny to me because I was there in 2017, 2018, 2019 when, when, uh, when fans were calling for O'Shea to get fired. <laughs> And they 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 call they were they were loud and they they did it every time we lost people were calling for O'Shea to get fired, um, and uh, you know it it just speaks to how how the culture they built there and the organization they built there it just really speaks to how well they've done it and and you know here's the thing I could go, I could talk all day about O'Shea I love O'Shea and and all the guys do you know what I mean it's like not I I've never heard a single guy that played for O'Shea I didn't like O'Shea guys. The guy is a leader in every sense of the word. And, uh, but here's the thing about the organization. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not from Winnipeg. You know, I'm not, I'm originally from Niagara Falls. And, and, you know, and I love Winnipeg. I literally bought a house here and, and I live here now and I'm in the community. And uh, convincing a hundred guys to move to Winnipeg is not an easy feat. Like, and, and, you know, I, now that I know what Winnipeg's all about, I love it. You know, I, like I bought a house here, like I said, but, but for people not from here, it's not an easy thing to do, especially Americans. You know what I mean? And, and Americans are like, have barely even heard of Canada. Most of them don't even have passports. Half the guys that come up here every year are getting their passports for the very first time. Like <laughs> these guys like have not heard of Winnipeg. And so to convince these guys to, to come to Winnipeg, it's not easy. They're like, oh, like if I'm going to go to Canada, I want to go to Toronto. You know, that's like the one everyone's heard of that. Everyone wants to go to Toronto, right? Um, no one's heard of Winnipeg. And then if you Google Winnipeg, it's not like Winnipeg has the best, you know, news that comes out of here, right? So it it's not like an easy feat to do. And that's, it's something that this organization has literally been able to do is convince guys not to come here but want to come here you know you look at guys like winston rose coming back here after being in the nfl willie jefferson adam big hill buying a house here and after being in the nfl you know what i mean like these guys want to stay in this community these guys want to be a part of this organization and stay here uh and it's because of how they build it and it's and it's because it's to us, it's more than football. And I speak, like I say us, and I'm not on the team anymore, but, you know, when I was, it was always more than football. It was about being a part of the brotherhood. And, you know, like I said, with the defense before, like those guys didn't care about the record because it didn't, that didn't matter to them. It was, they wanted to win the great cup for each other. Sure, a personal record or a, a defense MVP award, that's great. But you know what's greater? winning a breakup <laughs> like in, in 2019 it, it was interesting this year because in 2019 it was kind of like the exact opposite of this year you know tie cats were 15 and three they beat uh, beat us badly both times they won every single award that year et cetera, et cetera. and we're like we don't care like none of this matters to us we're gonna we're gonna kick your ass in the, in the great cup and it was way better you know what i mean and and that kind of just goes to show you the team that they've built here is they, they don't care how good you are. You know, they don't care. Like you could be, I've seen it. You know, I've been in that locker room plenty of times with plenty of very good football players that were amazingly athletic, but they weren't in it for the team. They, they wanted to be there because they knew they'd have a thousand yard receiving season. They knew they'd have, 
uh, you know, uh, uh, they'd be on the best defense in the, in the league. And they wanted those stats, you know, and they got cut for it because they weren't in it for the guys. They weren't in it for each other. And that's why, you know, that's why every single person on that team has bought in and they bought in because Mike O'Shea like de- not demands it, but he, that's how he leads. You know, he, he gets buy-in from every single one of the players. And if, if you don't want to buy in, cool, great. You're not going to play here. You go play somewhere else. There's not, there's eight other teams. Have fun. You know, we don't care. We don't care how good you are. If you're not buying into this program and what we're selling, then, you know, thanks for coming out, but we'll see you later kind of thing. And <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it cannot be, you know, understated how much of a factor Mike O'Shea had it in creating that. And, you know, and it's interesting to look back in 2017, 2018 to see people call for his head and, and, you know, they didn't understand, they didn't see the vision. Now they're all, you know, now all these people are on the bandwagon, which is, you know, it's great to see, but, uh, oh, believe know, they're, 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 they're finding like where, where's, which square outside of IG field is the O statue going to go right now. And, and to be honest, back-to-back championships, he's the second winningest coach in blue bomber history. I mean, Bud Grant has set the standard. He won four times in five years, then went on to an incredible NFL career. But I think everyone here in Winnipeg is hoping that Osh stays here, continues to move forward, because I think we all agree that, you know, what you and your teammates started in 2019, and really before that, um, we're now in a glory era right now of Blue Bomber football. And from what you all just said about the buy-in to the organization, to the city of Winnipeg, the connections with the fans, which is as special as anything I've seen before in any sport growing up here. Um, the the future's still very bright as long as the key people are intact. And I don't think there's any more important person than Mike O'Shea. John Rush is with us. If you're not already following on Twitter, what the hell are you waiting for? At John Rush 32. Um, John, before we go, um, just give us a quick update on uh, life. How are you doing? What are you doing now? And uh, everyone wants to know how your dogs are. Yeah, no, they're, uh, you know, it's, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm enjoying my body not hurting constantly all the time now, which is always, uh, which is always a plus. And uh, you know, my dogs are great. They're they're just sleeping in the other room now. I I work from home full time now, which is which is awesome. And it's funny because all these people were like, "Oh man, your dogs are going to be so happy. Like Bone and Bailey are going to be so happy that you work from home twenty four seven now. You're always going to be with them." They did not even react once to me being home. They're just like they're just like. Uh, okay, dude, whatever. Like they just sleep in the other room. They just like, they go to my bed and sleep in my bed. And I'm like, this is what you guys do all day. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you like- know what? You've been, uh, you've been such a great advocate for, uh, for dogs in particular, but the animal services as well. I mean, while we've got you here for the first time, we've got to quickly mention, I mean, what do people need to know? What, what, what are maybe if they're looking to make a charitable donation or get involved with an organization along the lines of some of the things that you're doing. Uh, who are some people in the community that you've worked with that are doing some great things that people should check out? Yeah, no, for sure. That's a, that's a great question. It's, and especially, you know, especially right now uh, in, into the winter months in Manitoba, as we all know, it's, you know, it's, it's very cold here. <laughs> so uh, the, the shelters need a lot of, of help now because uh, the, the fact of the matter is if, if there are, there's, are these stray dogs out, outside right now is they they won't survive they they just won't so shelters right now are are inundated with uh with dogs um 
that just won't survive the winter, unfortunately. And so uh, there, you know, shelters are always rescues are always looking for more fosters and, and really um, fostering is a great way. And I, I know a lot of people don't like it because they're like, well, I'm going to fall in love with this dog and want to keep them. And that's okay. That happens. That happened with Bailey. You know what I mean? Like it, it happens, but fostering is a great way to get involved. It's a short term commitment because here's the thing. If you commit to an animal and I, I was tweeting about this the other day, if you buy an animal, if you adopt an animal for Christmas, you're committing to that animal for, for 15 years. Like that is the time span you have to think about. It's a 15 year commitment. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, Oh, after the holidays, when it's not cute anymore, you abandon it. It's like, no, this is a 15 year commitment. So, you know, fostering is a great way to help save animals because it frees up space and shelters for you, for the shelters to bring in other animals. And it's a great way for you to connect with a dog, to, you know, have a dog in your life to, to kind of get that. It's, it's kind of like microdosing uh, dogs. You know what I mean? You're kind of <laughs> microdosing having a dog like fostering. Uh, it, it, and it's great. It, it's, it literally saves lives. And uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, and there's, and like, there's so many amazing organizations in, in, in Winnipeg. Uh, my, my sweater right here, is, it says the dog father on it. It's from the Manitoba Great Pyrenees Rescue, who we just did that uh, Santa Paws uh, fundraiser for, as well as, um, there, you know, the Winnipeg Humane Society, Manitoba Underdogs, uh, the, the, the list goes on of um, amazing organizations that we've worked with, you know, Winnipeg Pet Shelter, or Winnipeg Pet Rescue, sorry. Um, it, there's a lot of really amazing, you know, shelters here, and, and, and they have no shortage of animals coming in, especially in the winter months. So uh, if you can, if, you know, if you can, I know, I know the holidays are, are you know, a tight time for people. I get it. I'm flying home to see my parents and uh, it's costing me an arm and a leg to get there and, and house these guys and, and, and things. So I, I get it. Uh, but you know, it doesn't, you don't need to throw money at the problem. You can, you can foster fostering's free and you actually, uh, you know, the shelters will pay for all the services that the animals need, including the dog food, which is another great reason to do it. Uh, you can just donate your time. Uh, I work a lot with the Winnipeg Humane Society where they're just looking for people to go and walk the dogs, to get the dogs exercise, to get the dogs out of their cages because uh, they, they need that exercise. They need that socialization, right? And, uh, you know, just something as simple as that. And it, it can be monumental for a dog to relieve stress, to, to help it calm down and, and things like that. And it doesn't really, it doesn't cost you any money. You, know, you, just, you just go sign up as a volunteer and you can, and you can kind of start walking dogs and, and, you know, really, what other what other way do you want to spend your time than you know, walking walk some dogs, right? No doubt. Hey, John, this was a hell of a lot of fun. I tell you what, I mean, heading into 2022, I know you're going to be involved in a lot of things, uh, you know, helping animals in our community. Uh, never hesitate to drop us a DM. We'll get you back on. Uh, talk about some other fun stuff, too, but we'd love to help you out on that. And uh, maybe we'll see you tomorrow night. It should be a heck of a party. All your former teammates back doing it again. You'll be rocking that big ring that you earned in 2019, and uh, it's going to feel like 2019 all over again here in uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Wednesday night. Thanks for doing this, pal. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I really always I always appreciate talking some football. So anytime <laughs> you want, I'm here. Right on. There he is, a former Bomber and 2019 Grey Cup champion, John Rush. Hit him up on Twitter and follow him at John Rush 32 Very entertaining dude. It was great to have him on the program for the first time. 
Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. I thought, what a perfect day to do it in the basket, the glory of another championship, talking to him and how much different it must have been watching it as a fan as opposed to being competing in the 29, uh, 2019 Grey Cup. Uh, big thanks to John for doing that. We will get to Coach Paul Maurice in just a moment, um, but I do want to thank our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ Group for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And Man, if you saw on our Instagram or theirs on the weekend some of the cakes that they did up for the Grey Cup, want to give a special shout out to our pal Chris who not only got one for himself but donated one for us to give away to a lucky winner on the week on uh, last weekend um they were phenomenal it doesn't matter if it's great cup if it's sports related or just a birthday or christmas the nick and nicky dq group had those amazingly delicious dq ice cream cakes and they'll do it up however you want customized personalized and ready to go at your local Nick and Nicky DQ. You can pick it up at one of four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And if you want to order in advance, hit them up on Insta at DQ Manitoba. And while you're there, try the Steakhouse Burger. It is absolutely elite. Um, and our friends at Canadian Club have been so good to us. Shout out to T-Bone, who popped by yesterday. To pick up his hoodie that he won in the marble race on Friday. We will be doing another marble race on Friday, so don't worry. But my guy James over at Canadian Club mentioned that uh, they have a pair of prime seats for Alex Ovechkin's return to Winnipeg on Friday night. Friday night game, section 117, I think, row eight, mint seats. And we're going to be giving them away uh on thursday so what you're going to want to do is make sure you're tuned in tomorrow um we won't be doing this one as a marble race because we want to make sure with a great prize like this from canadian club we give everyone a chance to win including all of our podcast listeners so on tomorrow's program we'll let you know a few times how you enter we're going to do something new through our website and then we will announce the winner on thursday's show so be sure to be with us tomorrow You'll get the details, and it will be your chance to win a pair of prime seats for the Jets and Capitals, courtesy of Canadian Club, on Friday, and that's on tomorrow's championship celebration edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk, and of course, Canadian Club, the official spirit of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, we've got a crazy amount of games tonight. Well, it was 13. Apparently now it's 12, and my Minnesota pick is off the books but we will get to everything happening at CoolBet before the end of the program. Uh, but we sort of bounced around between Bomber Celebration, a big game tonight, bom uh, Jets getting back on the ice against the Buffalo Sabres. Um, we did get an update earlier on Blake Wheeler, as well as uh, the way things are going to look heading into uh, the start of this homestand against the Buffalo Sabres tonight. So uh, let's turn it over and hear a little bit of what Coach Paul Maurice had to say earlier today after the morning skate. showing you about Buffalo's game, especially of late? Their last five has been really solid, really good. Their last two especially. Um, it's two really powerful offensive teams, and the Rangers in Washington, they uh, defend hard, played hard. I think they got off to a really good start this year, and then uh, and, you know things things kind of fell off for them, and, and now they're at a point in their season where they're probably just working on the process more than anything else, and they got that part right. So some of the uh, disappointment maybe of that block of time between now and their start uh, has worn off and now they're just playing hard hockey. 
Paul, just had Adam in here, and it <clears throat> strikes me he's a guy who, for the last few seasons, had a really defined role, a really defined line. Um, there's been a lot more fluctuation yep. this year, obviously, and, and it's changing again now with Blake going down. Um, how do you think Adam's handled a rotation of line mates, and why is he a good guy maybe that you can put, yep. especially younger players, with him and it works well? Well, he he's graduated into being the player that, that, that will drive the line. He knows the game. He understands his role very well. What, so in a pure shutdown role, in a lot of ways, and what he's been in the past, that's a, a game that you can process every night. You know exactly how you're supposed to play. And now that's come off a little bit because with young players in the wings, I haven't run them against the other team's best as much. And we've got Dubois now at center, and, and I don't want to run those guys in the three-hole or Shife in the three-hole. So his minutes come down kind of because of that. Um, but what we're starting to see and what we, we need to continue to see is they're starting to spend some offensive zone time. We didn't really measure his line by how much it would be great if he could hem the other team's best into the offensive zone, but when you're playing against the best, it's not going to happen. But now they're starting to generate time and some chances inside the dots and getting pucks to the net. So I think all three of them that will play together tonight have more offense in their game. And it's not a lack of effort. It's just repetition in the zone, more time in the zone, more time inside the dots, more time net front. Adam scored 15. You know, he, he can put the puck in the net. And now he's playing with two younger guys that are trying to find their way to put the puck. We think they both, they both can shoot the puck. So changing their offensive game a little bit has to come in, in that style that they're going to play. But we, we really like where they're getting to, where they're starting to get some opportunities. Yeah, I would think as a coach there's – elements of Adam Lowry's game you'd love to rub off on a Jansen Harkins right. and a Christian Veselainen. Right. So I think Vess has spent some time there now. We've seen that. The first thing they want to do when they come off the fourth line into the top nine is they got they got to score. This is my chance to score. And that's a great mindset to have. But if you, you've also got to play the game, and you, and you can't be cheating the game to do it, or you're gonna, somebody else is going to get that chance. So there's a balance there for those guys. Jansen specifically, have you seen a little bit more disruption and maybe chaos creation on the yes. forecheck with his game? And yep. how does he get that? Almost on the back check as much as anything else. On that, that change of possession from the goal line to the blue line or even to the red line, he's starting to strip more pucks. He's starting to get more engaged. That's just a maturity's not the right word. It's an experience thing that, that you can catch people from behind. There's lots of teams that will delay, run bump backs, that you pressure hard back in from behind. You can strip pucks, and he started to do that and had some some good opportunities to play in the offensive zone because of it, so it's, it's reinforcing for him. Paul, against Arizona, you were coming off. You were yeah. ending a real busy schedule going into this one, and you don't want to ever discredit a, a right. team, but Buffalo is a team that uh, has been struggling uh, right. to get wins. So from that perspective, your team coming off a three-day break, uh, if you get the same level of chances in this game that you got against Arizona, do you think the physical and mental sharpness will come to Yeah, I mean, I liked everything about the score, but I thought we had way too many B and C chances that we could have made better had we been net front, had we done more hard things. We had the puck an awful lot. We put pucks to the net. We put up an awful lot, you know, 46 shots in that game. But we never, I mean, we more chaos offense in Seattle, especially in the third period and, and the three periods in Van. We need more of that style of game. It's a heavier game to net front. And, and 
I know it's only one third of the way through the schedule, but your team has been far more successful when you've scored first than when you haven't, and against a struggling opponent. Is that one of the keys to tonight's game? Is is that good? Yeah. Start so I them haven't. On their heels initially? So I haven't felt that. So you look, we've got this really kind of dark hole in a five-game stretch in our schedule. Prior to that, we really liked it, and you know, we got the Carolina game, but I've liked a lot of our game after that. Um, and in the first part of that, I would say, is the game that is the Columbus game. But in that Columbus game, we were second in the league for generating points in games that we didn't have the lead at, at a point. So I, I guess my answer is I don't feel it on the bench. And there are times, you know, maybe maybe in that stretch there where we weren't scoring, you could feel it a little bit. But I still not too much. There's lots of confidence that we can score goals. And there's not that history of the other team scores. We just can't come back. Like it, I, I don't feel it in the way we play. Clearly, you know, we've got this little bobble here of, of, of games. Uh, scoring first is usually a real nice confidence booster. We came off a stretch where we weren't scoring. But I, there's, there's lots of confidence in our offensive game. Sort of a clarifying question on Blake from yesterday. I assume yeah. there's no further update on his timeline today, but um, is surgery something that, no. that's no. not? No, okay. this is a rehab situation. They've kind of, he's going to get, I don't even know, second opinions. The peop, enough people have looked at it. They all agree. With, they, have, they have a very good handle on what it is. They let the swelling come down for three or four days and then say, okay. The, the problem is if you talk to Blake yesterday, he thinks he's ready to play pretty soon, but, but this is going to be a while, right? So... Uh, we and, know and that. in the Moose situation, nothing's changed as far as you know. You, you won't necessarily have a call-up by late today? No, I, I, unless something happens where we need one because I think we've, we're, we're very confident that this isn't a major – this is a minor issue. There may be no issue yeah. down there. Very confident with it, but we're going to over we're, – we're we're I'm more than comfortable even if I have to go into this game with 17 skaters just, just to be sure because it's just uh, – the risk reward on the skating with 17 is not an issue. Bringing a guy in, even if it's just around, and you're not a hundred percent sure, you don't want to take that risk. You could also have Dilly too, right? Because he wasn't around the moves in that stretch after the after he was sent there. Or? Yeah, except I know I got seven healthy defensemen. Right, that would be the I'm short a guy up front if I needed if if that was the case. We're we're running this tonight. All right, there's Coach Paul Maurice, 7 o'clock puck drop tonight. Jets and Buffalo Sabres, a couple days off of practice, and then back at it Friday to take on the Washington Capitals, the Caps' lone visit of the year to Canada Life Centre. And make sure you're with us tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk for a chance to win two prime tickets to the game. Courtesy of our friends over at Canadian Club. All right, we will get to the cool bet lines. Um, we're, we're, we're losing games, folks. Uh, we have lost the Minnesota-Carolina game tonight. And Remo, um, I'm just seeing a tweet from Frank Cervelli in the past half hour to add some gloom on a difficult day for the NHL, hearing there are a handful of potential COVID-19 players on the Preds waiting for confirmation. Lots happening today. Ryan McLeod is out from uh, from Edmonton. Uh, Matt Barzell's on the list for the Islanders. Brad Marchand's on the list. Sebastian Ajo's quarantining in Vancouver. Uh, it is getting very messy, and this just seems like it's an explosion around the league. And, of course, leading to our uh, conversation with Tim earlier, major concern right now, Reem, that um, 
this is going to not only affect the NHL in the short term, but the potential of finally getting this best on best that we've been waiting eight years for. Yeah, and I think if you're a player right now and um, you're doing a, you know, you have to do a three to five week quarantine if you test positive in China, that sounds horrible. I don't think I would commit to that. Uh, I know there were, you know, there were athletes at the past Summer Olympics. You know, they got to... Sorry, where were the Olympics in the summer? I honestly, I forget. Um, sure, Japan. Yeah, I thought it was Japan. Okay, they got to Japan, had to quarantine, and spent the whole time in a hotel. That's not fun for anyone. For me personally, like, we, I had an issue last year where I had to quarantine. It sucked. And, you know, if you're a guy with a family, um, you know, do you want to risk spending three to five weeks in a hotel room and maybe not being able to come back home? Is that, I mean, is that worth it? I saw, you know, maybe some people think that it would, but Robin Leonard is a guy who's like, look, that's not good for my mental health. I can't, I can't put myself in a situation where I don't know what's going to happen. And I wonder if the NHL does that. The best idea I saw was from Thomas Drance from The Athletic. He's like, look, they're all going to be in, in Vegas for the All-Star game. Just, ho just ho have it in Vegas. Keep them all there. It well, seems, seems like the most sensible idea I've ever heard. I mean, I... I I have now started thinking about this. What is the alternative if this doesn't happen mm -hmm. and they don't go to China? Like, is there a way that we could basically just put these teams together in North America yeah. and do it over the course of the uh, the month of February? Um, I mean, I realize there'd be a lot to it and it's probably unrealistic. Certainly if they want to make the money off of it. I mean, you know, you need television revenue and you need to sell tickets and probably not all that time. I guess the other question is, like, say in a week, they said, hey, we can't do this. We're not going to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Does that mean, like, there's no hockey in the Olympics? Or then does Hockey Canada go and try and find a bunch of other guys no. that would actually go and, and, and play and represent Canada and try and win a gold medal? No, they're, they're going to, it's um, AHL, NCAA, international players. So it would be, it would be like last time, um, the Olympic, they, they, assuming, got assuming, a backup all, group. yeah, assuming all the countries go, then they have backup groups. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. We're seeing a lot of teams, as I said, you know, the Rams closing their, their practice facility. Uh, the Browns have eight players on the list. Um, you know, Seth Jarvis, not eligible for the juniors. He's on the list. I saw uh, Islanders prospect Atu Ratti. He's, I don't think he's eligible for the juniors. He's on, on the list. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's tough out there right now. And I see a lot of people saying their fantasy roster, they have no players they can play. <laughs> I know Matt Larkin of the Hockey News, they canceled their fantasy show they were going to do because, like, you don't know who's playing. And for me, I couldn't find healthy players to put it in. I don't want to drop, uh, I don't want to drop guys that I have injured right now. It's, well, it, it's tough. You know what? And it's a real, I mean, it's it, apparently, especially around the Grey Cup. I mean, as I said, and check out the lock shop if you haven't seen it, uh, haven't, didn't check it out beforehand or get it on the, your favorite podcast feed. Um, with Dustin Nielsen, of course, Dusty was there calling the uh, the radio broadcast for the Great Cup, and you know he went out on Friday. They had the awards, and then he popped into Spirit of Edmonton, and then on Saturday, um, he and he said Rod Smith did the same thing. Literally stayed in their hotel room all day uh, because they were worried about somehow testing positive, and you know you had to be tested when you got to the facility each and every day. Um, so to miss out calling the game because of that was uh, enough that even on Grey Cup Saturday to uh, leave guys like Rod and Dusty in their hotel room the entire day. Entire day. All right, we've got some good news, Remus. We can officially revoke our Winnipeg Sports Talk citywide 
all points bulletin for Willie Jefferson's phone because the phone has officially been found. Willie has just tweeted, I found my phone, Winnipeg. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Uh, it was a full citywide effort to get Willie's phone, but he has it back. And uh, apparently he's already been live on Instagram. Willie has been dominating social media especially since the team won the great cup. If I do say so, he's, he's the best here. Let me, uh, I'm actually going to pull up. I saw he was live, like with Adam big Hill in the locker room. So, but I mean, he's, he was looking good, uh, coming off the plane, lifting the great cup. And this is why the great cup is like one of the best trophies uh, in sports. So here he is in the locker room. I mean, he brought the belt back. He's got L Tony tones, uh, championship belt yeah. back. So I remember when Tony gave it to him, um, on uh, at the nineteen the twenty nineteen game, and uh, you know he was uh, he was rocking it around, wearing it, and eventually did get it back to Tony, one of the uh, famed members of the Bombers super fan group, uh, who are all out there representing in Hamilton. Shout out to all of them. Uh, and now I think Tony said, "Hey, well, this is what happens when you win the championship. You get to roll around mm -hmm. for a bit with the championship belt." So Willie's been rolling with the cup. Willie's been rolling with the belt. Willie's been rolling sometimes without his phone, but luckily he has the phone back. The belt is back. The cup is back in Winnipeg. And tomorrow there is a party scheduled for 6 p.m. at IG Field. Remo, I know we're going to be there. I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, we were, I had to be on the air in studio when the parade happened last year and it was killing me not being there. And um, what exactly is going on in this video, by the way? <laughs> this is, sorry, for people on YouTube, I just put on Willie Jefferson's live Instagram right now because people were saying that he was at the bomber store, like working the cash register and hanging out. But I guess now that he found his phone, what's the first thing you do? Go live and he's in the locker room. Uh, and this guy is, I mean, completely jacked. Holy. Yeah, uh, no shirt, no shirt, yeah. shades on. The shades, I'm pretty sure he only took off to wear in the, oh, uh, in the game. <laughs> That's a check. How much? Ten thousand. It looks like uh, no. <laughs> ten thousand ten thousand four hundred. He just showed off a check. Oh God! What an absolute classic this guy is. Well, we're gonna look forward. We'll hopefully have some of the guys on the program tomorrow, uh, and then we will also um, be down there. We'll get a bunch of content. I'm not sure that we'll be going live tomorrow, but it's a good remember, a good um, uh, moment to remind you all too. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Talk WPG, at Twitter, Sports Talk WPG, Facebook too, if you're into that, um, because we will have some additional content coming out of tomorrow's big celebration down at IG Field. All right, quickly, let's get to the cool bet lines um, because we've got a ton of games tonight. Boston, la yesterday, last night, if you got on this game, was a, uh, a nice favorite, about minus 140. Brad Marchand's out. Vegas now a slight favorite over the Bruins. Uh, Panthers, big favorites over Ottawa. Devils, slight underdogs in Philly to take on the Flyers. Devils have won two of their last 10. Both of them have been against Philly. Philly will look to end that tonight. I do like the Flyers. It was one of my lock shot picks. Pittsburgh, big favorites against the Habs. Uh, Lightning, favorite over the coast of the uh, Kings. That game in Florida. Um, the Wings, minus 118 faves over the Islanders, who have really struggled lately and now don't have Matt Barzell with them. Uh, and the Jets, minus 278 favorites. That's a monster number. But what can we get them if we want to bet them minus a goal and a half? Mm, still laying juice, minus 109. Uh, so certainly the bookies think it's going to be a big night for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, as far as player goals, Kyle Connor to score, plus 120. 
Shifley and Dubois plus 160, Ehlers plus 170, and Andrew Kopp now up to 2-1 to one playing along with Connor and Shifley on that top line. Other games tonight, Blue Stars, Avalanche Rangers, Leafs Oilers as the Oilers look to break their losing skid at home. And the Vancouver Canucks looking to go five in a row under Bruce. There it is. Minus 130 for the Canucks taking on the Blue Jackets. The final game, Sharks minus 143 against the Seattle Kraken. It's back to the drawing board for me, Remo. I had the the Wild locked in, and now that game's not even going to be played. Yeah, wonderful. Have any postponements? Uh, I haven't really seen. You know, I had to rejig my whole fantasy lineup because I got a bunch of Calgary guys. Oh, I just realized they didn't take out Markstrom as my as my goalie crap. So, um, yeah, it seems like it's just, uh, you know, touch and go. I mean, if you're playing DraftKings, that's like, I don't even know who's playing. Uh, I know Zach Hyman is out for Edmonton. If you were hoping for a revenge game there against Toronto, but, uh, it's just around the league. Um, you know, there's postponements players, you know, in protocols, um, tough situation here. And we'll see how it works uh, moving forward. Uh, we do have a second Tuesday contest that Remus has set up. Uh, we've got nine out of 20 for it. So if you haven't done uh, any of those contests before and you want to get in, DraftKings.com. It's the Winnipeg Sports Talk DK Championship. I will be getting in there. I will do a team in that. I've been sort of negligent. Ever since I got knocked out of the Eliminator pool a couple of weeks ago, Remus, I couldn't even look at my DraftKings account. I was so upset that I was out. Uh, but I will make a return tonight. So if you do need uh, an invite, hit up Remus or I on Twitter. We'll make sure you get that or just search Winnipeg Sports Talk on the leagues and then get in on that contest. Uh, it'll run no matter what. That's the nice thing about the 20s, although it sure would be nice if we could just do a 30 or 40. And then if it didn't fill, have it resized. But uh, anyways, that's the way it goes. And if you want to bet a cool bet, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks on your first deposit um great night tonight uh, i'm looking forward to the game i'll be heading down there i should be jumping on the cgob post game show as well just after five o'clock if you want to check that out and then uh, tomorrow we'll have another big show we'll talk jets coming out of tonight's game and we'll hopefully have uh, one or two members of the gray cup champs on the show and then we'll be down there hopefully see maybe many of you 6 p.m tomorrow night at ig field gates open at five limited concessions available for what should be an incredible celebration for the back-to-back Great Cup champions. Uh, once again, thanks to all of our sponsors, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Cool Bet Canada, Canadian Club, Boston Pizza, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, that championship gear coming in soon at 750 Pemina Highway, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, Vita Health Fresh Market, and of course, F Apparel. Big thanks to John Rush, Tim Campbell for joining us. And of course, the drip master himself, Ted Wyman. Thanks to Michael Remus. Folks, maybe we'll see you at the game tonight. If not, we'll see you tomorrow at one o'clock right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night. Oh my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.